feature presentation. Eric, as the great band Stained once said, it's been a while. Welcome back to the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric March. It has been a while. And thinking about that, it was funny, uh, after a, a screening and, and heading on the go train, you sometimes catch, you know, concerts or, you know, post-game um, travelers that are, yeah, that are heading yeah. back. But I was thinking about new metal in the early 2000s on this one ride because there was a gobsmack or godsmack concert yeah. uh, that was getting out. And everybody was talking about how, like, Evan, one of the Evanescence concerts recently was one of the best they'd ever Sick. been to. So it felt Wake like I traveled. It felt like I traveled back to the early 2000s on that Go Train ride. Well, today we're going to stick with 2023. Yes, we haven't done this show in a while. So hello, if you only listen to this show, but we have been doing untitled movie reviews. Eric and I have been reviewing movies uh, pretty much every week for the last little while. We did take, um, let's say, a little bit of a, a break uh, earlier this Hiatus. year. Um, maybe uh, one of your co-hosts had a mental breakdown. Uh, maybe many other things were going on uh, in my life and in the world, but I took uh, a break. Uh, I'm good. I'm feeling much better. I've been feeling great for a while now. Maybe not great, but I feel good <laughs> for a while now. Um, I was going to get into all of that on this show, and maybe one day I will. Um, but more importantly, it's TIFF season, Eric. So TIFF talk had to return my mental health can just let's lock it up we can have a therapy session later uh i'm doing okay so we'll do I, it during tiff that will be where like oh we'll God, break yeah. down well, just break because me, of the festival <laughs> no i i'm i think i'm good like i've been i've been feeling good for the last couple months um you know it was hard for me to go to the movies you know i had a panic attack watching john wick but i've been able to go back and I love going to the movies again. I, I'm very excited for TIFF. Um, I will kind of go into what I, I, I was going through, as well as many other things we missed while we were gone. I want to do a Universal Studios review, as well as a preview for their Halloween Horror Nights that's coming up. So that's going to be a future episode. Eric and I are going to go back down to Fan Expo and check that out. So that'll be kind of a discussion topic. So this show uh, is back. It might be, you know, monthly or bi-weekly or something like that, or sporadically whenever Eric and I have something we want to talk about. We just don't want to force ourselves into committing every single week we're going to do this show because sometimes, uh, you know, we have busy lives outside of this um, and we love doing it. Um, the reviews we're going to be consistent with, we're going to be reviewing stuff all the time. Um, this show is just going to change to, you know, when we have something that we want to talk about, we'll jump on here and do that in a long form conversational way. Uh, but yes, Eric, we are, gosh, like what, two weeks, 22 days away. So almost just over three weeks away uh, from the 2023 Toronto International Film Festival, our favorite time of the year, you know, our biggest time of the year for this show, for the review show, you know, we usually go absolutely um, ham when it comes to um, the Toronto International Film Festival. And this year, um, we'll, you know, we're going to talk about it. So 
<laughs> we're going to review a ton of stuff and I will still be very, very busy over those couple weeks during the festival. But this show is going to be fully dedicated to previewing the entire 2023 festival. Usually last year and years past, we kind of broke it up into those TIFF talk segments when we did the show more consistently. Um, but this is our full TIFF preview. The schedule is out today as we're recording. You guys can start building your schedules. Maybe you already have. Maybe you're listening to this while you build your schedule. That's always awesome. Uh, please go over to Tiffer and use that. That's what Eric and I will be using as well. Um, but yeah, Eric, how are you, man? Well, Matt, uh, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Uh, it's It's been, you know, in, in terms of you know the hiatus, which I'm I'm very glad that you took the time for yourself, and and you know I think anybody can learn from that experience and understand that everybody has a point in their lives where maybe they just need some time to recalibrate or think things through, maybe reinvent themselves, or just again take a, a long yeah. vacation because when we're doing something like this, you know. We love it and we don't consider it necessarily work or our jobs, but because movies are, you know, a weekly thing and there's no real holiday, even when the holidays are coming, there's actually no off season. Yeah. Yeah. There's more work I mean, there's to do you know, January because, and but, but even August. then we have Sundance, you know, because oh, of the totally, virtual yeah. aspect of it. So there's always something going on and you forget about your own mental health and wellness and the anxiety that you have. So, you know, for you to be so candid about your experience, not only on the podcast, but on various social media websites and just, you know, saying I need a break. That's a really important thing. And I'm really proud of you for doing that. And and I think a lot of people are because it's something that a lot of people don't still know how to admit to themselves or, to others, it's yeah. it's a very hard thing to do, and so when you're thinking about yourself and how you're putting yourself through a routine that might be very familiar after a while, it can almost be unbearable. So yeah, and, and, and getting back to me, I took this week off a little bit actually because I I was supposed to do some reviews for Strays and Blue Beetle, but um, sadly uh, my uncle. Uh, passed away and it was unexpected. I just needed a little bit of time off, you know, some breather, uh, some breather room before the festival began. Yeah. And, you know, it, my uncle on my, um, my dad's side of the family, um, my aunt uh, through, through marriage, uh, his, my aunt and uh, uncle, he was one of those guys that was unbelievably kind and considerate and always made you feel welcome uh, when you were there. And also just a very funny individual um, to the point where <laughs> I remember when I was younger and I was having anxiety and panic attacks about spiders growing up. The first thing when he found out when I was at Peterborough, because it's where they lived, um, he he's like, oh, I found out that you're, you're, you're afraid of spiders and uh uncle sid was just like well don't worry i've got the cure sat me down and we watched arachnophobia yeah, for the first time i knew that was coming yeah and it only made things worse oh yeah that movie's horrible. <laughs> after That's after awesome. afterwards i was literally looking at every corner nook and cranny 
for any arachnid, uh, it got to the point where my mom called Sid directly and said, you ass. (laughs) (laughs) And he was just that he was just one of those guys that um, always kind of made things a little bit better and I'll miss him. Um, You know, my brothers will miss him and it's just, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of time because of something being so unexpected. And there's other things in in your life that you're juggling. And when you're thrown that ball, it kind of throws everything else out of proportion and you're kind of thrown for a loop a little bit. And so, you know, I, I think this week in particular, even though I'm still proactive in, doing you know upcoming reviews for we'll we'll have reviews for bottoms and 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 gran turismo and 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 things like that but you know i think you just have to stop and breathe every now and again and especially before something as big as tiff comes up because it is such a monolith of not only just a festival but as an experience and something that is culturally significant to what we love to do on a general basis, which is talk and write and record and think about movies. And this gives us a time to really celebrate that. It'll break you down. It will um, make you question things. You'll be loopy by the end of the festival, but there's no other experience Mm -hmm. quite like it. And even though we might be more critical of this year's lineup compared to previous years, I do believe that, you know, having the festival in some sort of in-person component as it has been this year coming up and the last year post pandemic, even though COVID's never going away, um, is a sign that the festival will still be going strong. And obviously there are factors that have affected it this year, specifically yeah. with the strike. Um, but we will try to find the positive as much as we will be critical because I, I I do think, and and I'm not trying to speak for Matt, but you look at Venice, you look at New York. And when you're reading a lot of um, the press releases, you can kind of make an assumption of what movies are going to play at Telluride as well. And you look at on if there's a world premiere, a North American premiere or Canadian premiere, premiere, Canadian premiere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with, those film festivals happening around the same time, Venice before uh, New York afterwards, Telluride kind of during and overlapping. Right before like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to say that those lineups are more exciting than TIFFs. And it's not to say that TIFF doesn't have some movies that are, you know, worth keeping an eye on and making sure that, you know, if you really want to see a certain film – um, from a filmmaker that either is prolific or only makes a movie every couple of years or every 10 years, you know, there, there's still the stuff there. It's just, it's going to be hard not to compare it to those other festivals and think like, oh, we missed out on something. Yeah. When you're talking about, I mean, let's get into it. I, I, I agree with you. Um, so it's an interesting year. And, and as much as Tiff says that, you know, the SAG and 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 the WGA strikes didn't really affect what they programmed. I don't know if I fully believe that. Um, but you know, and this is nothing against the movies that they programmed. I'm just I think when you see when we're talking about those kind of bigger, flashier titles, and I mean that not in the sense of like, 
when a festival programs like a blockbuster or something with a lot of stars, it's like, you know, those films from prolific and, and, and interesting filmmakers that are kind of on, you know, everyone's, you know, on our kind of, um, most anticipated films of, of 2023 and, and, and things like that, that kind of show up at some of these other festivals. And then, and I'm not trying to sound like, you know, entitled that they should be at TIFF or anything. It's just, when you look at the lineup as a whole this year, I'm a little bit underwhelmed and that's no insult to the movies that are playing because again, I'm not familiar with a lot of the movies playing and that sometimes is a good thing when it comes to after the festival. Um, you know, my year is going to be a little bit weird because I have some other stuff going on where I have some conflicts in time. So I probably won't be able to see as much as I usually do this year, but I'm still going to try to get that 20 film mark, which is like, you know, in previous years, 25, 30 is sometimes what we would get to, even though that was kind of crazy. But um, maybe that lends itself to more discovery, which is a good thing. And I'm not talking about discovery, the program, but I just mean <laughs> or the channel, you know, discovery in general when you're going to TIFF this year. And I think if you're open to that and um, you're open to going, OK, this description of this film looks interesting. Maybe I'll, I'll go see that or oh, it has this one person that I like or it's directed by this one person I like. OK, I'll go check that out, even though I don't know much about it. I think we could change our perspective by the end and go, oh, my God, I, I discovered uh, a couple films that I had no idea were, were coming out. Siri, I'm not talking to you. Um, just, yeah, thanks, Siri. It's in my headphones. Don't, it's not speaking to you. Yeah, I know you didn't get it. Okay, yep. No, I don't <laughs> want to try again. Thank you. Um, I think that by the end of it, we, we might shift our perspective and, and kind of go, oh, I saw these movies that I wasn't expecting to love and I do love them and now they're on my top 15 of the year list. Or it could go the way going, oh man, we missed out on the Fincher and oh man, we missed out on the Yorgos Lanthimos movie and oh man, we missed out on, you know, whatever else we want to list. The, Cinematic you know, tour Bradley um, Cooper's Maestro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, those kind of big flashier movies, I feel like, and TIFF usually is that festival that has those kind of movies. So I'm curious from a public perspective, because this is a public film festival that will they take a hit on that or will people just be excited to go to premieres and, and things like that, especially maybe because stars aren't going to be attending. Some will, it gets a little bit complicated with, you know, SAG uh, waivers that they've handed out for films, uh, people coming as directors and, 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 and things like that. And producers, actors um, as directors, specifically yeah, actors as directors, but some of them like with Bradley Cooper at Venice is not going in solidarity with SAG. So it's going to get a little, the one thing TIFF hasn't dropped is their guest list. I think uh, other than the in conversation pieces and stuff that they're doing. Um, I could be wrong, but I didn't see that come through and they usually sent out a giant list of here's everyone attending the festival this year. So I think it's interesting, you know, will the public, they still have premium ticket prices on a lot of these premieres. Um, a lot of the premieres aren't those kind of big flashy movies that people are excited about. I think personally. Um, so is this a down here? I don't want to say that necessarily, but I, I am disappointed at some of the films that did show up at Venice at we don't know about Telluride yet at New York the three centerpiece films at New York are really really great uh Venice has some stuff like I already mentioned with the Fincher movie and, and things like that um and then you go into Fantastic Fest who you just mentioned Eric uh, is getting things like not that the creator is like a film festival movie but I you know anyone who listens to this show and maybe you don't listen to this show if you're listening to this preview show um 
I I'm the blockbuster big movie guy. Eric's the, you know, the more cinephile guy. And that's why this show works. And we, we show each other movies. I mean, Eric would see all the big shit anyway, for the most part, I'd maybe make him watch some garbage. I saw the flash. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but Eric does introduce me to other stuff and go, no, you should check this out. It's from this filmmaker, blah, 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 blah. So that's why it works out. But I am that guy who I like those big flashy movies. I like those premieres at TIFF. I like them for this show as well because that gets people to come listen to us. No offense to some of these other movies. We do well with like smaller, you know, the A24 stuff, but that's even on the like blockbuster level of indie cinema, if you can call it that. Um, the Marvel of, so, of, yeah, of indie of cinema. Indies. So like, you know, <laughs> when we talk about, when we talk about Bo is afraid or everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, sure. That brings people in as well. Um, so yeah, when we talk about the Nick Cage, a 24, uh, movie, that's, um, dream there, scenario, yeah. dream scenario that's there this year. It's that kind of stuff that will still get interest from people, especially those kind of borderline, you know, film bro-y, but also film fan kind of people. And then and you Nick the Cage real, lovers. Yeah. And-, and then you also get. You know, maybe there's a lot of films here that I'm not familiar with, but like the cinephile people are really, really excited about. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of go through the entire kind of program because I, I admittedly have kind of glanced at everything. I've checked off movies and a lot of movies do sound interesting. TIFF does a great job at their little blurbs of going, this is what this movie's about. Here's who, who's in it. And I go, well, that sounds interesting. And then I heart it. But then when I'm building my schedule, I go, all right, can I fit this in? Do I want to do this? Do I want to prioritize the bigger movies? So, um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting year. I'll I'll leave it at that. Well, going back point. quickly because I think you were going to mention it as well yeah, is that Fantasia the got the creator, and they have yeah. a couple other movies that you would expect maybe would play. You know, Midnight Madness. There's a film called Stop Motion that's playing uh, Fantasia Fest, and so there are films like that as well where it does feel like oh maybe these movies would play. And and I wanted to ask, like, why do you think, you know, we talked about the strike, but why else do you think that maybe some of these movies skipped TIFF? Because, and, and also, do you think it's more disappointing considering how big last year was with the Fablemans? Yeah, I mean, last, I mean, the last couple TIFFs have had some bangers, right? But like, you know, I, I this is the first tiff in a long time where I'm like, I said this to you where, you know, maybe it's me getting older as well, but like I'm, there's usually a few films where I, if I go, if I don't see this, I'm going to be upset. Not like upset. Like I, I should be able to see this movie. Um, that kind of entitlement upset. No, but more so like, oh man, I'll be really bummed if I miss that at tiff. And yes, a lot of these movies we're talking about come out in, October or November, like you don't or have, have to distribution. wait that long or have distribution in general. So like in the end, we're going to see these movies. Eric and I are in the critics choice association. We'll get screeners and shit like that. But like, I love the atmosphere at TIFF. It's my favorite place to watch movies at those premieres at those venues. You don't really get to see things from. So like I, that's why I'm disappointed that those bigger movies, which I can go see at my local cineplex or I can watch on a screener that they send me, but that's not the same thing. I like seeing them with a thou- 3000 people at TIFF in the, in a venue. I don't get to watch movies from princess you're, of Wales um, or, yeah. or, you know, one or of these Thompson yeah. uh, Scotiabank IMAX, which doesn't play some of these movies a lot. And like, um, you know, Lightbox, which doesn't play first run movies a lot. They do some smaller things and things like that. So, um, 
that's why I want those movies to play as well. You got to uh, get even, that with the Bulgari ads. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bulgari, yeah, Bulgari, pardon uh, me, Bulgaria ads. <laughs> Visit Bulgaria. Um, hey man, it's hip and happening. Hey, over there. I don't, I don't doubt it. Um, your other question of being why didn't they get them this year and why, I, you know, it's always a competition. As much as these festivals, I think it was like a year or two ago, where I think during the pandemic when they're like it was all kumbaya. Like we're all going to work together because like, you know, we need to bring people back and things like that. We're going to share all the films. It doesn't matter who gets premieres, who doesn't. Right. Yeah. Like it, I think that's all clearly out the window now. And you can see that they go, no, if you're going to come here, I want it to be at least a North American premiere, or I at least want it to be a international premiere or something like that. And I think when you go into, um, yeah, I, it's hard to say, man. Like we really don't know what these the behind are the thinking. scenes kind like, of aspect of it. The, the strategies behind it, because there are some films that are being relaunched that played Sundance or Cannes, and so those movies are getting their second life to remind um, critics and audiences that they're coming out this year, that they might be awards contenders, things like that. Then you have movies that are getting their their launch at the festival that, you know, the first time people will be seeing some of these movies uh, for the first time and they'll kind of be making, uh, uh, you know, a make or break kind of feel at the festival and sort of like defining their run for the future. And then you do have other films that are, you know, playing the festival that are looking for distribution. And, and, and I think Tiff, that's another aspect of it that we didn't talk about and we don't get into too much because we don't cover it. But Tiff is also not only a public festival, but it's very much a, buyers, you know, a, a buyer's know. market. Yeah. And it's, it's all about sort of um, acquisitions. And so, you know, Tiff this year might be affected by that as well because of the strike and, and, you know, what's being Maybe, yeah, picked but- up and distributed or what's being screened for potential, um, you know, studios to, uh, you know, take under their, their various, uh, catalogs for the, the coming year. Cause, cause again, a lot of this stuff might not come out I- until 2024. Yeah, so if it gets picked up during the festival and that's always a great thing about TIFF, but like, so maybe these movies with distributors you don't need per se, but I, I kind of push back on that as well. Cause like, I, I just think though, like maybe studios or, I have no idea. I'm just speculating here, obviously, but like maybe they think you get lost in the shuffle at TIFF because there is so much and it is, you know, 10 days and like it, it's not set up in the way I think New York is picking up steam a little bit. It, New York's always been a great festival. They've had great movies and, and you know, they always get things that TIFF don't, doesn't have. Sometimes they get a lot of stuff that TIFF does have uh, and they do share titles sometimes, but like maybe now you're usually, you usually see that, you know, Venice stuff doesn't necessarily affect the North American film festivals for the most part, because it's like, okay, well we can have a North American premiere. It doesn't matter if it played Venice. It can also premiere here. And I think you're seeing this year, a lot of the times it's like Tiff in New York fighting over stuff. And I don't know if this is a real thing, but that's how it looks on the outside because then you have movies that go to Venice and then they either go to Tiff or, you know, Telluride's its own thing. I almost like don't even think about Telluride. It's like this. But it still is, but it still is a launch pad for a lot of the awards movies. And I do feel that that does take the thunder out of TIFF sales a little bit right before that festival. I think that is, that festival is so niche in the sense of it's like, you know, critics, some critics go if your outlet can afford to send you. And then the people who, you know, 
live there go to it and like or the wealthy people go to it and like those like i i rarely think about uh telluride because a lot of the times things that premiere at telluride do come to tiff right after and things like that as well so anyways what i mean is like the venice north american thing like you know new york i think the way it's set up with its opening night its centerpiece and its closing night film and they've been really great at making sure those three films are kind of like big premiere titles where again not a shot at tiff but their opening and closing night films doesn't have that same prestige to them for the most part this year we'll get into the opening night film i think that's our most and that's my most anticipated film of the festival probably yeah Um, i would agree um so they nailed it this year um but i I just don't think it has the same cachet as the New York one where the New York is not the Michael Haneke movie cachet. Yeah. It's, it's a very tight festival in the sense that they don't program as many movies and they, they really focus on what they want to play. It's very curated. And, um, so I, maybe studios are going, you know, and New York, you know, TIFF was always that big international film festival and New York felt always weirdly more local, but maybe that's me because I'm from Toronto. Um, but now New York, I feel like, is getting on that same level. And maybe people who go to New York all the time are like, it's always been on the same level as TIFF. And I mean, yes, I went to New York, you know, 10 years ago and and to the, that film festival and I love it. And uh, we've been a couple times since. Um, you got really sick once. <laughs> oh, I did. Yeah, that was brutal. But um, and we might go back this year. Who knows? Right. Like because they are playing a few films that are, isn't that aren't playing Toronto. Like they, they have, um, they're, they have, but they're three big movies. They're, they're Ferrari, they're, Priscilla and May, uh, December, May, December. Yeah. May, Which December all played Venice as well. That's the yeah. point I was trying to make. And, and May, December played or debuted at Cannes, right? Yeah. And, sorry. And, and, and May that December got, was Cannes. Yeah. And that got picked up by Netflix at Cannes. And then Priscilla and, and Ferrari are playing Venice as well. And then the most interesting aspect about Priscilla is that Priscilla was actually shot in Toronto. Yeah, so know, yeah. it's just, it's and, and Virgin suicides was as well, but um, it's, it, it was, that thinking is also kind of fascinating when it comes to like, okay, well you have, you know, this, a tour filmmaker like Sofia Coppola who shot a movie in Toronto uh, about Priscilla Presley and, and sort of, you know, taking a very different stance based on the footage that we've seen uh, through the trailer that this is going to be a complete opposite to Baz Luhrmann's Elvis and sort of how we see Priscilla Presley. And there's going to be, I think an interesting conversation there and how that, dynamic is handled and and you know that question those questions were brought up in elvis where it kind of swept a lot of that stuff under the rug because it didn't want to deal with any of the problematic issues pertaining to that relationship so where this should focus yeah (laughs) and and i think like a lot of people don't really maybe know priscilla presley as well like I, i think our generation probably knows her better as one of the leads in the naked gun movies than as you know Elvis's ex, you know, wife. And so that will be interesting as well. So you're kind of reintroducing uh, a cultural icon to a new generation. And and so those things are just like, again, like talking about that, I think is a lot more interesting than what a lot of the stuff that, that, that Tiff has. And 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 I I know because I I want a slight or I don't need to sound entitled. And I think that that's, those are the things we need to keep, and even starting here. this preview show with talking about what they don't have isn't necessarily how we wanted to do this. It just naturally happened. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a, it's a fair point 
to start off with, because we're talking about how we feel about the lineup as a whole. Like there, um, you know, if you just look at Venice having, like we said, um, you know, Maestro from Bradley Cooper, you got the killer from David Fincher, you have poor things from Yorgos Lanthimos, you have, you know, Priscilla, you have um, Ferrari, you have those kind of heavy hitters there. I think Ava DuVernay has a, a film there as well. Um, Castle. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and things like that. So, you know, Tiff, you know, New York got a couple of those. I'm sure Telluride will get um, some of them. And, you know, Tiff didn't. But Tiff does have films and films we are <laughs> it, it excited does have about. Films. <laughs> uh, we are excited about a lot of the festivals. So, you know, I mean, as a whole, to kick it over to the more positive side of things, I think we're both psyched for the opening night film, which is The Boy and the Heron from uh, Studio Ghibli. Um, and Miyazaki uh, is back yeah. out of retirement. And yeah. what's, I think the only thing I don't like about what I've seen so far is that they changed the title and it right. would have been amazing if how do you live was the title because we right. could have been quoting <laughs> Lily. Lily, how do you live? <laughs> Which is a very Great good tiff in- joke. Side in- tiff joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've thought of the exact same thing. Um, but you know, that's a big get for tiff, you know, yeah. yes, the movie's already out in Japan and, um, you know, it's playing in theaters there, but this is the kind of international premiere um, of the film. And that's a huge get from a legendary filmmaker, a legendary studio um, highlighting animation in the opening night film, which is amazing. Um, Like, I think that's a very amazing get that you're not seeing pop up at these other festivals and, um, and a huge um, opening night uh, film that I think is probably both of our, like we said, our most anticipated film of the festival. And like that hasn't happened for the opening night film in a little while. Like I, it's always an up and down thing with the opening night. I loved when they had Looper and there's been some more score, a things. hockey musical. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's stuff like that, that makes it not a prestige spot. Right. But like, yeah. um, I'm so glad that, you know, having a, a studio Ghibli title and, and a movie that we don't know a, ton about even though it's out already there were some screenshots that finally got dropped i think the other day and yeah. i did look at them and yes it looks like a studio ghibli movie so like that's that's great so i'm i'm excited for it i don't know really anything about it and but that's um, what makes it more exciting yeah. right because there hasn't been a lot of advertising on it and it's rare that even in an international market that there isn't a trailer or really any production stills up until now and so you know that approach to marketing would not happen in in this day and age. You want to get people into the theaters and to know about the movie you're pitching. And Miyazaki is one of those filmmakers, one of the few filmmakers that can be afforded just to say, you Sight know, this, unseen, just, yeah, this is this is this movie. director's film who you know is coming, who's basically been retired, and you know, The Wind Rises was his last movie. For him to come back and 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 do this potentially this last film um, is a big deal. And for TIFF to get that, it is the reverse this year where usually the festival as a whole, there's a lot of exciting things to see, you you know, last year with the Fablemans and glass onion, that was, you know, a a fun double bill going back to back, but that was in the midst of the festival where usually like you just said, you know, the, the opening night movie is kind of lukewarm at, best and yeah. it's everything else that comes afterwards that's more exciting where this the, the the boy and the heron is kind of the most exciting thing to kind of start the festival and 
going back to your point, that's not necessarily a bad thing because it could end up a little bit like Sundance this year, where maybe there's something that's not on everybody's radar as of yet surprises people in a way, you know, like you, 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 the other thing you should always look at when, if you're interested in certain programs, look at the programmer, see what they're programming outside of, you know, like Peter Kaplowski, for example, like he programmed how to blow up a pipeline, midnight madness, uh, head programmer. He, he programmed how to blow up a pipeline in platform. And that was a movie that played, you know, near the end of the festival and surprised, I think everybody that saw that film in yeah. one way or another, because nobody th- thought still in one our way top or another. five films of the year, at least absolutely. In I think yeah. It's in yours as well, but yeah. a great movie. And, and so like, if you like a certain program and you see a head programmer's name in another program or another selection, give it a shot, yeah. give it a shot because that might mean something there that might be yeah. telling you that, Oh, maybe there's a, an adjacent quality, to you know where their 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 origin is like where their 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 setup is and so like this year again you know peter programmed um dream scenario which also shot in toronto and 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 so um you know that could be telling you something about that movie in that section absolutely so let's start with those programs i mean let's kick it off with the galas we were already talking about the boy and the hair and what we're going to do here is go through each and every um, program, um, I'll go through and list the films off, and Eric and I will talk about the program um, as a whole. Um, so let's kick it off with the gala presentations. Um, let's start with A Normal Family. Then we have Concrete Utopia. We have Dumb Money. I was at a GameStop this morning and i've been to a GameStop <laughs> three times in the last week i'll get into that story maybe when we talk about dumb money um we have fair play which maybe is our first tiff review did we do a re- full review for fair play yeah for, for sundance yeah yep. we did yeah yeah so you guys can check that out right now over on untitled movie reviews just search sundance fair play and i'm sure it'll pop up somewhere you're selling um, me on it <laughs> um no i we both i, I think you know, had mixed feelings about that movie, but, um, yeah. but well, it's not know. an erotic thriller. And that was no. the thing that I was fearing would happen. Did with that trailer. trailer. I didn't watch it yet. They, but... They're playing it like an erotic thriller. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, finest kind, uh, Flora and son, another, um, Sundance film that we did not see cause it only played in person. It did not play the digital side of Sundance. So I'm excited to finally check that out. Uh, hate to love Nickelback. Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, we have Lee. We have, uh, is it NYAD or is it NIAD? NIAD, um, I think. NIAD. We have Sly. Uh, is Sly the closing night? Yes. That's well? the Stallone okay. documentary. Yeah. Uh, we have Smugglers. Uh, we have Solo, not a Star Wars story, but <laughs> um, we have Swan Song. Um, we have Thank You for Coming. Uh, we have The Boy and the Heron. And we have The End We Start From. Sorry, that's not the end. Uh, the movie Emperor, the new boy, and the Royal Hotel. Um, Eric, anything stand out to you? I know we've already talked about the boy and the heron. We talked about the couple Sundance films um, that are kind of carryovers. But anything from that group of films that is either on your shortlist or that you're kind of interested in? Yeah, I think the Royal Hotel is one that I'm very curious about because I liked Kitty Green's uh, narrative 
um, that was loosely based on the Weinstein controversy called The Assistant with uh, oh, Julia the, Green. Yeah, very good. Which, movie, yeah. Yes. And so you have two backpackers that are basically stranded in this isolated location, I think in Australia and basically have to um, get jobs working at a local pub. And you know, it's not as uh, savory a a place for um, women as it should be and tension and anxiety uh, ensues. And so neon picked that up and it is, from a filmmaker who has dabbled in both narrative and nonfiction uh, feature filmmaking, which I think is going to be very exciting. Julia uh, Green is back to work. Um, oh, not Julia Green. It's Julia Garner. Pardon me. Um, back to work with uh, Kitty Green. Pardon me. And uh, you have Jessica Henwick, Hugo Weaving. So I think that that's going to be one that will possibly have a bit of a breakout here. If, if, if it does, um, you know, if everything kind of goes the way that it, it it seems to be with that movie, because you have somebody who's already proven themselves with the assistant, and that's a movie that got under um, a lot of people, including myself, skin with how it depicted in a kind of very observational, non-intrusive manner with dealing with a studio executive, but from the point of view of um, an assistant who is trying to kind of make a, a name for herself. And Julia Garner in that role in the assistant was fantastic in a very subtle, but still disturbed and ultimately complicit performance. Um, and I think that's one movie that will definitely have a lot of people maybe surprised if it, if it, if it does well, like that's one to keep an eye on, I think. Uh, yep. That wasn't on my radar. I did not realize that uh, Kitty Green uh, uh, directed The Assistant. That's awesome. Uh, I am now excited for that. So um, I, I really en- not en- enjoyed is the wrong word, but um, I thought The Assistant was a very good film. It was a very um, captivating yeah. movie that um, had something to say about the Me Too movement, but also the complicit nature of people working in those environments. Yeah. But without saying it directly and telling yes, you how to it feel. It was the right amount of subtle and quiet and, and, but still devastating and, 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 uh, very, very good. Um, I'll jump in and, and dumb money's one where, um, I'll say that I'm like kind of looking forward to it because I, I do like Craig Gillespie, but, um, I don't know if this whole like game spot, like, um, you know, uh, hedge fund kind of, uh, manipulation of the stock market thing is like too recent for me to really kind of go, Ooh, I want a movie about that. <laughs> like, or if it's even interesting enough for me to like want that. And, you know, I'm, I'm open to it. I like the cast, um, quite a bit. Um, I was like, I just mentioned, I've been at a GameStop you know, fucking like four times in the last week because I traded in my Nintendo switches to get the new Nintendo switch, um, OLED. I, uh, I had to trade in one of the kids messed something up. So I had to go back and then get it and they didn't have the switch and stop. Anyways, it is a nightmare, but like the, the manager was very, that nice should be the like, movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not very exciting. I'm, I'm Eric. I'm all back in on Pokemon though. And I might be back in on Pokemon go. And I know you nice. never left. So I know I didn't. Uh, <laughs> well, I just, I use it for, for walking and it kind of gives me a good idea of like how many kilometers I've walked. And I know I have an eye watch and things like yeah, that, yeah. but it's just kind of fun every now and then. So, um, 
Yeah. So, so I, would you would you say that you're you're selling or buying on this one? Man, I, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I guess hold. I, I, I maybe sell, but like I, I don't know. Like I, I really like I Tanya. Um, Cruella, I thought was serviceable in like in in you know I, I it was Cruella was right at the end. It was during the pandemic, right? And yeah. and I feel like it was at the tail end of me needing to watch those Disney. You know, and I know Cruella is not like a shot-for-shot remake or like a one-to-one remake like some of the other uh, Disney live-action uh, ones are, but I felt like he brought enough of himself into that movie that I, I enjoyed it. Um, Which is basically him copying filmmakers like Martin Scorsese, yeah. where it's wall-to-wall Absolutely. music, hyperkinetic editing, a rise or downfall of characters. You even saw that with the Pam and Tommy series yeah. that he was a creative on and, and directed a few Which episodes. Which we liked quite a bit. Even but we had some, some problems yeah. with the consent aspect Absolutely. of not asking Pamela Anderson herself. Um, um, and then, like, but, but also he's, like he's a journeyman. Real girl, yeah, yeah, quite a bit too. So like... Again, just like him, I'm a little bit all over the place with it where I'm like, I think I'm interested in it enough because of the cast. And obviously, you know, I am a a video game guy, but like it's not it's more about the stock market than it is about actual GameStop. It's just like why they chose, um, you know, GameStop to be that thing. So, like, you know, I like Paul Dano. I like Seth Rogen. um, I like everyone involved. So, like, I'm kind of. The trailer didn't do much for me, and I will say that. The Pete Davidson of it all is kind of a turnoff, even though I'm sure it's a smaller role. But it's also just interesting as well, this movie is coming out in a year where we have gotten a ton of product placement-based movies or films about IP, whether it be something like Barbie or Blackberry and Air, uh, where you know you're 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 selling or advertising, or even Gran Turismo, where you're selling and advertising the product as much as you are the story. Um, and it almost works as like a, a two-way street in that sense, where you get the kind of idiosyncratic character arc of, you know, the the poor kind of taking one back from the rich and inheriting some of the wealth and spreading that equally amongst themselves. But then you also have, you know, you mentioned the GameStop stuff and then you, you have like the advertising of even just, you know, wall street in general and how that all kind of plays out. And it does feel like, you know, some of these movies are more disingenuous than others. And I think that can be also, uh, I think we could be a little bit burnt out uh, by that, at this point because we've gotten so many of these kinds of that films it's so recent like this just happened a few years ago right yeah. like and i just like it's sometimes like interesting when they happen 20 plus years ago or something like that and you're like oh yeah remember that okay let's see a retelling of that it's like i don't know if i need this like right but that away. didn't stop movies about 9 11 uh, coming out true, in 2006 true, yeah. right or yeah. 2007 and you know you had united 93 which is a great film on, but not i get capitalizing not on national uh you know disasters tragedies and tragedies like that but i, I but get, even that is a capital yeah. people do capitalize oh on absolutely yeah so i mean i get but i guess i get it from the sense of like wanting to do it now while people remember it rather than in 20 years people not giving a shit about it so yeah i think it it kind of goes both ways so uh anything else kicking it back over to you that you uh that you're excited about from the galas i can't think of anything off yeah. the top of my head but uh yeah the, the royal hotel is the one i would think it's i think it's interesting that it's in gala because gala is usually the sort of the 
most accessible program mm. for a lot of people. Yes, that might I know, be but yeah. But for I think for a lot of people that are wanting to see films with big names or that are more glossier studio centric or, or have a slickness to them. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't seen anything on Royal Hotel, so maybe it, it is. But judging based on, on the filmmaker, you know, even casting uh, John Benet, like her movies are a little bit more subversive when it comes mm. to uh, Kitty Green, when, when her movies come to how they approach topics people are familiar with. You do have Kate Blanchett, who's in The New Boy. Uh, which, which played from, Can. Yeah, from the director of uh, Sweet Country, which played Tiff. Uh, I thought the movie Emperor sounded a little bit interesting because it's a, a satire about uh, movie industry pretension. Um, the description says Andy Lau is perfectly cheekily cast as a movie star seeking relevance via a film festival baiting art house role and director Ning Hao's sharp satire of movie industry pretension. So that sounded kind of interesting. Could go either way, right? With satire and, and, and stuff like that. But um, uh, I always uh, am interested in that uh, kind of stuff. You have, um, what else do we got here of people of, of note that we maybe wanted? There's a documentary about the National Ballet of Canada's uh, 2022 production of Swan Lake, which Neff um, Campbell is an executive producer on, mm-hmm. uh, which probably because she worked on one of Robert Altman's last films, The Company with Malcolm McDowell. So maybe that's like her kind of connection there. Because mm-hmm. when you have a name that's brought in later on as executive producer, it usually is just a um, figurehead for the most totally, part. Yeah. Uh, Kate Winslet in Lee, um, which is uh, about the American photojournalist Lee Miller. That's an interesting um, cast. Andy Samberg is in that movie. I saw that, which made me a thousand percent more interested. Because <laughs> it's like, not that he can't deliver. Like he he has some really strong dramatic beats in Palm Springs, but it is it's you know a war photographer with Kate yeah. Blanchett in the lead, Andrew Riceboro coming off of an Oscar nomination, Alexander Skarsgård. Um, it's a film that I believe uh, has distribu- distribution in Canada with Elevation Pictures, but internationally doesn't as of yet so that could be another movie that maybe you know is looked at as a, an awards potential for or awards play for uh kate winslet because you know kate winslet obviously you know is is an actor of high regard and quality when it comes to the film choices she makes and so people will be again that's it kind of falls into the gala aspect that's what it, i right? mean yeah that's what i'm trying to call out for that kind of stuff uh finest kind f- kind of falls into that gala thing too you have ben foster toby wallace tommy lee jones and jenna ortega starring in a crime drama from brian hedge at Helgland about a crew of fish, a crew of fishermen who tread dangerous waters. Great writing after their debts start piling up. So um, that's a movie that's been in development for years because Jake Gyllenhaal was going to be the lead in that with Zendaya uh, for a long time. And um, that director has a really interesting career of both like high. Cause he, he basically co-adapted um, or wrote yeah, he adapted uh, L.A. Confidential and then directed Payback with Mel Gibson. Oh, so, um, yeah. you know, he's he's a guy that's kind of all over the place as a filmmaker. So that could also be another film that is looking for a more commercial route mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. And um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting that that's a movie that has been in development now for at least, I think, five or six years. Yeah. And then you have, there's a, Nyad, which stars Annette Benning and Jodie Foster, about um, 
the true story of a woman who at 64 became the first person to swim from Cuba to the U.S. without a shark cage. Now that um, is getting from some the director crunch. of directors, yeah, directors of, of Free, Free Solo, Solo and the Cave. Yes. Well, also talking about uh, the 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 Thai cave rescue. Like, how soon do you make movies yeah. about that? And there's now you know a narrative film by Ron Howard. There's the documentary, and I believe there's also a Netflix series. So there's a lot there. But that movie has been getting a little bit of controversy already because there's somebody that is disputing that that didn't actually happen. That she didn't actually swim from cuba to the u.s so we'll see how that goes i mean there's always discourse with at least one or two movies at every stallone movie is getting a little bit of kind of backlash as well so uh which is the closing night film uh okay you want to move on from galas and i assume next would be special presentations this is gonna be so difficult because we had some tech issues for me to keep track of time codes when did we end uh, 37 and now we're 11 minutes in that would make 48 wow you're seeing how the sausage is made during this episode yeah <laughs> what everyone wants to know uh so let's move on to special presentations with this is a, a beefy one so bear with me while i read all of the titles Beef. um a difficult year american fiction anatomy of a fall close to you daddy-o days of happiness el rapto El Sabador de la Navidad, uh, Evil Does Not Exist, Ezra, Fingernails, Four Daughters, His Three Daughters, Hitman, In Restless Dreams, The Music of Paul Simon, Kidnapped, Knox Goes Away, La Chimera, Last Summer, Lay in Indesirables. I'm just going to say it like that. That's the most. That's the Lodge Lee movie. Yeah. The most Canadian pronunciation of that. Um, Memory, (laughs) uh, Monster, Mother Couch, Next Goal Wins, North Star, One Life, Pain Hustlers, Poolman, Quiz Lady, Reptile, Rue, Rustin, Seven Veils, Show. Shana, Sing Sing, The Beast, The Burial, The Convert, The Critic. I don't like when they do alphabetical order and put and then they the, put the for, yeah. I hate that. Anyways, That's awful. Uh, the Critic, The Dead Don't Hurt, The Holdovers, The Movie Teller, The Peasants, The Promised Land, The Zone of Interests, uh, Interest, singular, uh, Together 99, Unicorns, Uproar, Wicked Little Letters, Wildcat, and Woman of the Hour. That was a lot of movies. And Eric, I will. Um, you said with the galas that that's usually the flashiest thing with the big movie stars. I always think special presentations takes that. And the and the galas is always an interesting mix of like, you know, it is international stuff. It does have usually one or two big flashy movies, or it does have like weird movies that either don't have distribution or or just have movie stars in them that aren't very good sometimes <laughs> and like um and then the special presentations is usually where you see the big flashy movies or the ones with big movie stars personally or big directors and things like that the odd time one of those movies does slip into gala or something but gala is always just a, a weird mix to me and i don't necessarily think of that as that you know where all the you know 
big movie stars are and stuff. I usually see that in special presentations. Um, any, I'll kick it back over to you right away. Uh, anything, I'm sure there are multiple movies on, on the special presentation side of things that you're excited about. Yeah, there's, there's two in particular and it's, it's a, it's a can Sandra Uller, um, double bill of anatomy of a fall, which won the Palm door at Cannes this year and Jonathan Glazer's the zone of interest. And so with Anatomy of a Fall, it's basically a courtroom drama, and Sandra Uller from Tony Erdman is uh, the lead suspect on trial for the murder of her husband, I believe. I haven't read the synopsis of the plot, um, but that won the Palm d'Or uh, this year at uh, Cannes, and Neon picked it up. So Neon has won, I think, four, three or four Palm d'Ors in a row with Parasite, Triangle of Sadness, T10, and uh, Anatomy of a Fall. And see, that's where that's where I find the the that that assessment where I find the special presentations are more of a place of mixing things up because Anatomy of a Fall is not a movie that has that's movie fair, yeah. stars. I just think the best movies are in special presentations. That's what I mean. <laughs> well, I agree with that. I, I think there's a lot of but but there's a lot of good stuff in other programs. I agree. No, I agree. But I mean, but this you know is this is a nice mix of. The, the the flashier stuff, but also some international cinema that might also be crossover successes where like Zone of Interest is next to The Boy and the Heron, I think my most anticipated movie of this year in the last few years, because Jonathan Glazer is a director who takes his time on making a film. He's only made, what, four movies at this point with Sexy Beast, Birth, Under the Skin and Zone of Interest. And his movies, you know, Under the Skin and Zone of Interest are both loosely based on novels. Martin Amos's book, The Zone of Interest, uh, which the author actually passed away a couple days after the film played at Cannes, uh, was sort of the loose inspiration for this story about um, a group of a Nazi family living an idyllic lifestyle, basically right next door to a concentration camp. And it doesn't sound... It's not supposed to be entertaining, but it does sound like a hard sell. But I think as a director, Jonathan Glazer is one of the best. Started out in commercials and music videos and now has kind of made a name for himself and making very eclectic movies. This, like a lot of his productions, has been sort of discussed in terms of how long the production took uh, to make. And you have, you know rumors that he shot multiple versions of the same movie but from different perspectives of um the cast and it's going to be fascinating to watch this movie it's the same cinematographer who did cold war and i'm thinking of ending things so that's going to be a film that i think will play very well with the crowd that's an a24 movie in the u.s elevation has both of these films in canada and out of those out of the special presentations, which there's, there's other stuff that I'm looking forward to. I would say those are the two big ones. Nice for me. Huh? I'm going through again. I think I got a shout out Hitman by Richard Linklater. Uh, you know, reteaming with Glenn Powell from everybody wants some, uh, I love Glenn Powell. I'm surprised he's not a bigger movie star than he already is. Um, Link later, I am hit or miss on. You know this better than anyone, Eric. Um, 
love the guy. Sometimes I not never want to say hate the guy, but like I'm just up and down with each movie that he. But does. when you love his work, you do I really, really like his stuff. like his yeah. So that's why you know a, a you know a comedy thriller that's about a hitman that like I'm 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 all about this. So um, really looking forward to that. That would be up there in in some of my most anticipated. I agree with you. With um, I'm I'm not a a glazer guy. You're not glazing. Um, I haven't been glazed yet, but like <laughs> I, uh, I skipped out on, uh, God, you just mentioned it. What was under the life? skin, under the skin, um, which I remember vividly premiering at TIFF and you going to it. And I was like, ah, I'm just going to chill. And then like, I just hung out until you were done. Um, so like I will, I, I am open to this. It does, uh, sound intense and, um, and I'm sure it'll be very, very interesting. So I, I will go check it out. Um, uh, as well as the, you know, Anatomy of a Fall, I think sounds really interesting. And I always like to check out the Palm Door winner um, at TIFF. That usually plays TIFF at whatever. Especially if it's being brought to you yeah. by Neon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I am also excited for those. Um, going through again. Let's go through. Let's go through. Sorry, guys. You're seeing the sausage we made too. I'm, oh, the Michael Keaton movie. I think we both kind of like. Yeah. I, just because it's Michael Keaton, uh, has Michael Keaton directed? Yeah, The Merry Gentleman uh, with right, Kelly McDonald right, and, right. and Bobby Cannavale, uh, which it's fine that movie. But I'm just calling uh, out the Hitman movies, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah. So it, the 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 synopsis sounds a little bit generic in yeah, terms I of agree. Uh, what's it called, Knox. Knox goes away. So Knox I can read the synopsis. Away. Michael Keaton directs and plays Knox, a hitman losing his memory, putting him in a race against time to help his estranged son, James Marsden, who is great in jury duty. So I will give James Marsden a shot now in, in anything he does moving forward, just because. But he's, he's a great comedic actor. Yes, when, when he does yeah. drama, it can be hit or miss. There you go. That's a good point. So yeah, I, I mean, I we both love Michael Keaton. So like, no matter what, I will always give a, a Keaton even if it's Morbius, shot. man, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a go. And the Flash. <laughs> um, talking about, you know, one, I guess one of the bigger gets, even though I know the skies have been a little bit grating to both of us lately, is Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins. Um, a movie that's been kind of uh, shelved for quite some time because they were trying to figure out what to do with it, as well as had, having to do some reshoots to replace an actor. Um, we'll just say he had to replace army hammer with Will Arnett. Yeah. And that took some time, but also he was making movies back to back to back. Basically, He was, you know, yeah. Everywhere for a little while. Um, you know, and I, there was a time where I think love and thunder and next goal wins was going to, were going to come out pretty close to one another. And then Disney decided to hold next goal wins. We're finally getting that movie. Um, you know, it's about the American Samoa soccer team and uh, their attempt to win or not win, but make the world cup. And, you know, I'm, I like Fassbender, like I, YTT, like again, a guy that, you know, was more hit than miss for me, but like lately, you know, with his public persona, with kind of Thor love and thunder, not being super great. Um, I can't say my excitement is like super high for this and i think it it does come out what october november no i think it's november november but um you know i still i still will give it a shot and you know i do like football or soccer what we call it here but um so i i'm i'm excited to watch that but i i think he's a guy that we're both kind of 
softened on lately. <laughs> yeah, he's too overexposed. And for an underdog story, that's not the direction you want to enter uh, a movie with. You kind of want to win people over because nobody's really given you any credit where even Jojo Rabbit, I wasn't, it's not, a, I don't think it's a bad movie, but I don't necessarily love that film. And, yeah. and when he won the Oscar for, you know, the, for adapted screenplay, it just kind of felt like, uh, you know, it, it I just, like it, that movie. I, I think it, it, it added I, fuel to the fire of his ego, that. you know, but, but that's most filmmakers in, in one way or another. I'm glad um, he's slowing down a little bit, but I mean, we're getting this now, but I mean, it was delayed. I don't know if it's necessarily him yeah. slowing down. If it was just like the studio being like, okay, well we need to, you know, press pause on this thing and figure out the army hammer of it all. And then now and then we'll reshoot attached this. To 47 things, but then I don't. Yeah. Think yeah. Any of them, yeah. So it's, I guess it's good for the festival because you have somebody returning that had such a, a big film like Jojo rabbit play previously. And he is a name, but there is that kind of burnout, I think on him now that a lot of people, at least in the critic community and maybe sort of, you know, uh, film lovers and things like that maybe feeling a little bit more but i think as like a potential crowd pleaser it probably is a really good play Sports on movie, tiff's yeah. part yeah. for them to 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 release that and i think he is one of the more modern directors that you know maybe the average moviegoer would be able to know just because he is so out there and, and in the because well, the thor like, movies right yeah i know yeah so uh another one i'll just throw things out you know by bigger quote-unquote bigger films or bigger filmmakers you know david yates directed a couple harry potter movies so i'll shout out pain hustlers because that's and you know it has chris evans emily blunt um about you know how dare you forget andy garcia andy garcia is in there pharmaceutical tommy bahama himself (laughs) uh about the opioid epidemic um so i'm curious i don't know um i will also shout out that this is the year of i made a joke about this when they first got announced of I used the Nathan Fielder meme um, of Tiff trying to get stars to come to the festival. So they just programmed all the movies that they directed because they can come as directors and not stars. So you have things like pool man from Chris Pine. You have um, the best Chris. Yeah. You have um, I'm going through. There's more. Ethan Hawke has a movie. Viggo Mortensen, the dead don't hurt. Um, you have uh, which one is the Ethan Hawke Wildcat? You have Anna Kendrick having Woman of the Hours. So there's kind of a theme in special presentations of a bunch of actors uh, turned director. I believe even in is it Platform or Discovery? There's a film Patricia Arquette Patricia has, Arquette has yeah, a Gonzo film as well. So um, that's kind of every TIFF kind of sort of has themes, and and one of the themes this year. Um, is kind of actors turn directors. So, like, how do we get the actors to be at our festival? Yeah, let them direct their movies. Yeah, will you know, they program be any good? Director. It's really going to be a toss. Will but there be like, Will there be a ton um, of close ups of actors in movies directed by actors? You bet your life. Yeah, <laughs> but like, like Pool Man sounds funny enough, and I like Chris Pine enough that I will give it a shot. Like, um. You know, Chris Pine makes his directorial debut with a kinetic noir comedy where he plays an anxious pool cleaner who uncovers a curious conspiracy in the city of Los Angeles. So I'll give it a shot. Could go either way, right? Yeah. Um, 
with the Anna Kendrick movie sounded kind of interesting because it was focusing on like a game um, show, right? Like yeah, a, the, the dating, dating show. game and about a, a serial yeah. killer that went on the uh, the dating game. So that kind of sounded interesting. You know, Ethan Hawke directing his daughter Maya Hawke in in Wildcat. Um, you have uh, Viggo Mortensen doing a period um, western, western. Um, which doesn't really vibe with me but like and i never watched falling either it's not good but he's good yeah. in it um yeah. and Vicky he's creeps re- i like too so and he's like, reteaming with lance hendrickson as well so yeah um it, yeah that could go either way but i do but again like those are all these people that you're mentioning i do like as actors yes yeah. as directors i mean some of them haven't been you know basically kind of given the spotlight yet so who knows like we could get a you know, I'm not saying like he's a great director, but you know, we could get somebody on that level of like a Ben Affleck where it surprises you that like, oh, they're maybe Bradley a Cooper. Yeah, a Bradley Cooper type. We <laughs> Toronto gets their own Bradley Cooper and yeah. you Pine. know Chris Pine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you never know, man. You never know. Um going back, uh, shout out some Canadian films. Um, Chloe Robichaud has Days of Happiness. Um, Sarah which, prefers to run. If you haven't yeah. seen that is really uh, a very subtle, solid little character study. Mm-hmm. So um, this looks like Canadian tar. So <laughs> trapped in a car called Canadian okay. tar. <laughs> so uh, I'm excited to check that out. You mentioned that they just added this Jeffrey Wright film, American fiction. Yeah. Um, uh, so that sounded kind of interesting. Um, daddy. Oh, we were talking a little bit before oh, air, Sean which, Penn. yeah, I know, which, so this could go either way. I like Dakota Johnson actually quite a bit. Um, I like movies that are single location, just two actors talking. Um, well, that's and, the link later thing, right? Yeah. Or going back to, you know, the classic film school of it all, the Antonioni, you yeah. know, style of two people, you know, having a conversation, whether it's in a single location or just walking and talking. Yeah. Well, this is driving and talking. So, um, you know, I, I am curious about that one. I have no idea if it'll be any good. Um, kind of going through, um, Ryusuke Hamaguchi's film, evil does not exist. Uh, the director of drive my car, which Eric, I know you really liked. So yes. And Janice films actually also picked this one up as well. And this was a movie that nobody knew was coming. <laughs> that was made under the the, the wire, basically. He, you said he had a radar. couple movies this year, didn't he? Yeah, or? he has another film that I think is playing Venice as well. So um, we got one of them. You cool. know, we there got go. one of them. Um, you know, fingernails with that has Jesse Buckley, Riz Ahmed, and Jeremy Allen White. Three actors I really, really like. Shot in um, Toronto, and also uh, Annie Murphy's in it, and it's from the director of Apple. Uh, which was something produced or executive produced by um, Kate Blanchett and um, Yorgos Lanthimos. So it has that his first movie. You did. You you look disappointed in what I'm telling you about fingernails. I hate (laughs) these tech issues. This makes my life a living hell. (laughs) No, I'm excited to talk about Tiff, but like it just this is the breakdown of our show already. Audio version, you're probably all like, Matt, we don't even give a shit about the video version, so who cares? But when we want to put this stuff up on YouTube, especially because if people will want there, I'm oh, you're back. Yeah, great. Now this will just totally fuck up the video completely. Um, but we'll figure it out. Um, we'll just continue. We'll power through and hope for the best. 
Um, anyways, the audio people don't give a shit, but sorry, Eric, you were saying something. Yeah. So fingernails is from the director of apples. I cannot pronounce his name, but, um, he, he th- that first Christos movie, Niku, maybe. Yes. Uh, that's probably a, a Christ, but, um, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos and Kate Blanchett were executive producers on this. Uh, Kate Blanchett, uh, I think is also an executive producer, a producer on this. It was originally going to be a Carrie Mulligan movie. And then, um, conflicts came scheduling conflicts came out. And so Jesse Buckley took over the role. Um, it sounds a little high concept in terms of like, uh, a match factory thing and kind of figuring out like, or is the person you're with like your actual yeah. soulmate, um, which was actually this episode of, I can't remember the name of the show, but it was a recent sci-fi series that had um, Kingsley Benadir and uh, Sarah Snook that sounded very similar uh, to that. So right, we'll see. Right, I, I, it's, right, it's, right. it's a good cast, um, an interesting up and coming director. Will it be very deadpan? Probably uh, Apple's was, which was about a, a was basically about a world where people were suffering from um, amnesia and they were losing uh, their memories. And so they have created these special departments where people can go and um, reinvent themselves, basically or relocate themselves if their families don't come to claim them. And so you follow this one guy who is trying to figure out his new life because nobody came to pick him up or vouched for who he was. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does with this. Cool. Um, his three daughters only because of the, the titular three daughters of Carrie Coon, Elizabeth Olsen and Natasha Leone. Like I kind of like that grouping of women. So, um, Again, I'm not sure if... Uh, well, that know? director also did yeah. The Lovers as well okay. with Tracy Letts right. uh, and Deborah okay. Winger. And he's kind of known... Uh, Azel uh, Jacobs, I believe, yeah. is the name of the director. And so he's kind of known for... He's not... Because Mumblecore doesn't really exist anymore, but like lo-fi yeah. um, human dramedies are basically his kind of milieu. Cool. Um, but yeah, like those three uh, women... Uh, Lady Lies, uh, Lay in Desir- in Desirables. Lodgely. Um, Lodgely. Lodgely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we both liked Les Miserables from yep. uh, 2019's TIFF. So maybe doing a thematic, you know, uh, kind of, um, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but it does seem like there's going to be some thematic sequel kind of playing with similar themes and, and stuff like that. So um, definitely intrigued by that as well. Um, Corieta has another movie, Eric, are you excited for monster? Yeah, that played at can and uh, was picked up by Wellgo uh, USA. And um, I wasn't the biggest fan of broker last yeah. year. I know a lot of people really liked it, but it's not as good as something like shoplifters or afterlife or, or, or anything like that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm still excited about it. And it's, it's one of those movies that I think maybe would benefit from that second wave now of people catching up with it at another festival, because when a movie doesn't play well at can, that doesn't necessarily mean that the movie's bad because there's a lot of films that play at can that maybe don't get the reaction they would hope for on the international market, but then do better, you know, in another country or, you know, in North America, like a lot of Wes Anderson stuff, actually, even though it's primed for the French in a lot of ways, it does better here. here. Like Moonrise Kingdom was that movie that when it played at 
um, can, it got lukewarm reactions. But then when it played North, when it was released in North America through Focus Features, it was a huge success. And it was like Mm -hmm. a summer um, surprise in terms of its box office. Yeah. Another theme I'm seeing going through these, a lot of um, siblings or with dealing with their parents kind of movies. You have Mother Couch, which is about... Well, Mother, uh, comma, couch. Um, it's On TIFF, it just says Mother Couch. Oh, because <laughs> in some places, it's it's Mother, comma, couch. Um, this just says Mother Couch with no comma. Maybe that's just a typo. Um, you have uh, Ewan McGregor, Taylor Russell, uh, Ellen uh, Burstyn, um, and uh, F. Murray Abraham, and and other people in that movie as and well. The couch, yeah. The mom won't move from a couch in a furniture store, so um, maybe going to be more dramatic. The the premise seems um, absurd, but in in it could deal with some serious things there. But uh, that, and then North Star as well was Kristen Scott Thomas directing Scarlett Johansson and Sienna Miller about three sisters again um, yeah. coming together. So there's a theme and even that other movie that I said that had sisters in the title as well. It, you know, a lot of dealing with siblings, dealing with their uh, parents and things like that. Well, especially um, when you're getting people like the filmmakers, but even nowadays, like, you know, generations of kid of kids that have grown up that are having to focus on their parents. Yeah mortality in some way or another right yep um quiz lady from jessica Yu has uh aquafina and sandra O, oh, as well as will ferrell and um and more um i always like when you know comedies high concept comedies uh come play tiff so uh, this is a hulu film that's uh, premiering in november um but again i also you know i uh, jason schwartzman in, in it as well um, so sounds kind of interesting, uh, reptile, um, with Benicio del Toro, uh, Alicia Silverstone, Justin Timberlake, um, uh, could go either way. It had an interesting premise, um, from the description. Um, so I'm kind of, uh, I kind of want to see that as well. So I want to give that a shout out. Yes. An excess um, baggage reunion between del Toro and, uh, Silverstone. Everyone's been waiting for. You have the Adam Agoyman, Agoyman, uh, Adam Agoyan movie Seven Veils, which reteams him um, uh, with um, Amanda Seyfried Amanda from Seyfried. Chloe. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Eric. You um, Sing Sing sounded e- interesting as well, which is um, a theater troupe finds escape from the realities of incarceration through the creativity of putting on a play in this film based on real life rehabilitation program and featuring, uh, uh the cast, which has Coleman, Coleman Domingo. Domingo and Paul Racy's in there as well. Yeah. So that sounded interesting. Um, the beast, which has shown up at a couple different festivals with Leia Sadu and George McKay. Yeah, the George McKay thing is scaring me a little bit because the last time we saw a McKay movie at TIFF, it didn't turn out very well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so I think that's, you know, we got, there's some other stuff there, but like, you know, the holdovers, um, the trailer, I I really vibed with the style of that movie with the grainy 70s style cinematography and the sound and and kind of the voiceover in that trailer so i am uh uh curious about that um we have uh mads mikkelsen reteaming with uh the director of a royal affair 
um, for the promised land. Um, Will it be as happy as a royal affair? Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that's that's pretty much covers special presentations. So a lot. That's their biggest program usually. Um, that's usually we cover the most films usually from special presentations because those are the films that kind of will bring people in to listen. Um, so I, again, when we're talking about these films and I'm reading the descriptions, I am like, we, we started off from a very kind of negative standpoint, but there is a lot of stuff there that I'm either curious about and, um, want or really do want to see. So, um, and again, like maybe you go, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And then you go, holy crap, that was really, really good. Um, Eric, from here, where do you want to go? Midnight, probably midnight madness. Let's go. Let's go to midnight madness and, yeah. and see what our friend Peter Koplowski is, has uh, programmed this year. I got the Tiff Midnight Madness shirt on. Yeah, love Peter. Peter's a great dude, great programmer. Um, always interested to see what he programs because he always has an interesting mix of of different genres, not just you know what you would typically think in a midnight program and stuff like that. So um, let's get into it. So uh, for uh, Midnight Madness. We are starting with Agro <laughs> Doctor One Fifth. <laughs> uh, um, Agro Drift by Harmony Corinne. You have Boy Kills World. You have Dicks the Musical. You have Hell of a Summer. Kill. Naga. Riddle of Fire. Sleep. When Evil Lurks. And Working Class Goes to Hell. So. Eric, I mean, I'll kick it back over to you, but I think the one thing that we're most intrigued with is a new Harmony Corinne movie. Oh, you you better believe it. Is it all shot in infrared? Yep. <laughs> uh, take pack your Advil. Or oh man, oh I have to see this because I, I remember the first time I saw one of his films at TIFF was Trash Humpers, and it was an experience unlike any other. Uh, It's such a weird movie to begin with kind of playing on the found footage aspect of it, but people dressed up in old age makeup disturbingly. So, um, and kind of almost playing in a jackass kind of mold a little bit as well. Watching that movie uh, at the Elgin and a pretty full theater, you know, for, for an early morning screening. And a lot of people maybe don't necessarily read on, what the film is about per se. They just maybe get tickets through friends or family or, you know, win a contest or know somebody that gives tickets out. So you had a lot of people there. Yeah. The lights went up after the movie was done and about half of them were gone. <laughs> I'm, I'm really intrigued. Cause like for midnight madness, you get the, the crew that is ride or die midnight madness. And they go to every single one. Right. And I think they even brought back the midnight madness package this year, which people were excited about. Um, then you get the people who, yeah, go for the specific films or the specific filmmakers. So you, you'd think that most people know what they're getting into with a new harmony. Corinne movie that shot completely in In infrared infrared with Travis Scott. Um, And then also mm -hmm. being just in midnight madness, because I don't know if trash humpers, maybe it was midnight madness, but it did feel weird when that movie played in kind of a more prestigious theater. And Mm -hmm. you know, you're watching something that probably should not play uh, in a nicer uh, sort of space. And that I think also subverts your expectations. And it was similar with spring breakers as well. Cause yeah. seeing that at the hot docs theater, 
it was funny because that movie works as a bit of a Trojan horse. We've talked about Trojan horses recently with Barbie, but that movie worked as a Trojan horse in a way because a lot of people that were lined up to see that film and why it was so popular is because of Selena Gomez fans who had no idea about Gummo or Julian Donkey Boy. And you might have the same thing with Travis Scott fans for this. Yeah. Like, like, what the fuck? Like Travis Scott does like have a passionate fan base as well. Right. So, but there are, there are people like uh, our our friend, Andrew Feigl, who's both, you know, like he's both a Travis Scott fan and a Harmony Corinne fan. And you know, that, that melding of two weirdos, uh, you know, weird worlds coming together is beautiful, but yeah, it's not everybody. So. And was it Travis Scott who recently just released, uh, that IMAX compilation film that had a bunch of, uh, I think it Rutgers, was, and and, yeah. and Harmony Crin was one of them, and I think yeah. it was either Gaspar Noé or, yeah, or somebody Gaspar else. Yeah, Gaspar Noé as well. Um, yeah, franchise was it or no? Is this no? This was in 2020. No, I thought it was. I think it was this year. I thought it was. Was it like, Travis Scott or was it with someone else? Um, IMAX Harmony Corinne, because that's not. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> and then Google's just like, no, <laughs> you're on a um, watch list now. <laughs> uh. Circus Massacres, uh, starring Travis Scott. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it had, um, yeah. So, I mean, maybe his fans do know what that, like Nicholas Winding Refn, Gaspar Noe, and Harmony Corinne all directed, uh, co-directed like aspects of the movie and like different segments. They're basically, I think they're mostly like music videos that are put together. Um, so, hey, maybe they do know what they're kind of getting into. And at least, like, I love that Travis Scott does stuff like that and he's in, interested in, in all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm I'm very <laughs> intrigued. I don't – the infrared cinematography, I feel like, is going to be horrible. But, yeah. like, in, in the most Harmony Corinne way. So um, – Well, I want to laugh. Like, that's the thing that I love about Harmony Corinne movies is that his humor is so warped that it's hard not to – you know, mm-hmm. laugh at things that probably are so inappropriate, but like you oh, look yeah. at beach bum and you look at spring breakers and gummo and Julian donkey boy, like there, there, there's sincerity in there, but it is also very funny where he'll follow people that are mostly misfits. And I know one of Peter's hints for this film, which made me laugh even more, uh, was under siege to dark territory with Steven Seagal, which is Steven Seagal's character, Casey Ryback coming back from the first under siege movie from a boat onto a train. So I'm in. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a, I, I love midnight madness every single year. And there, I always read the descriptions and it's probably Peter, uh, writing them and he does such a great job of convincing you to want to go see these movies so like boy kills world um it stars bill skarsgård and it he um so here's the description bill skarsgård commits bloody martial arts mayhem as a deaf warrior trained by a mysterious shaman played by the raids um yayan ruhan um to ta- topple a far-flung dystopia in moritz moore's loony debut feature so like that sounds fun or interesting it, um, it sounds a little bit like you're taking aspects of zatoichi the blind samurai okay and also um elements of gi joe with snake eyes being yeah. trained by the blind master yeah you know so um intrigued by that uh dicks the musical which we have gotten a trailer for got a very mixed reaction um i i love musicals um i love a 
perverse riff on the parent trap. Um, I like Larry Charles, I think, um, uh, you know, who all, all the way back to, you know, he directed some of Seinfeld and worked on, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm and Borat and other things like Which that. Which also had a very big infamous, um, Tiff Midnight, Midnight Madness. Madness premiere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I am definitely intrigued, uh, by this and what are the sewer bros? What are those little what are they called the little creatures in there yeah they they kind of remind me i don't know if you ever saw that horrible dan Aykroyd movie nothing but trouble no. but there are these two like giant baby men like look it up right now type in nothing but trouble and type in um baby creatures and they are the most disgusting and disturbing things you'll ever see but they kind of look like that nothing but trouble now is best known for um having okay, Tupac yeah, in, in yeah. uh in that film and uh uh, the digital underground. So cool, cool. Uh, terrible movie, but fascinating to watch. So yeah, um, Dick's definitely sounds interesting. <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> it could be very grating and, and not, um, like I'm, I'm the trailer. It could go either way for me. It um, kind of almost looks like it's trying to capitalize on, um, uh, why am I forgetting it? I'm sorry, I'm blanking on this. My mind's been everywhere this week. But the um, the Mormon um, Book of Mormon Book of Mormon a little bit like it's almost trying to be a little bit like Trey yeah. Parker and Matt Stone. It does kind of look copy like that. It, I, I don't disagree there. Um, Book of Mormon is fantastic. Um, they've talked about making that into a movie for a long time, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I still, it's definitely on my want to see. It's got to um, be better than Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> right. <laughs> just as horrifying though <laughs> could you imagine if they played that in midnight madness instead of special presentations or gala that actually yeah. might have worked yeah i know uh you have hell of a summer um sorry i'm kind of going through everything but a, a lot of these do sound interesting to me uh this is directed by finn wolfhard and billy burke um brick, brick sorry billy yep. burke is a different person <laughs> um <laughs> uh billy brick um you know your classic summer camp slasher comedy so i know finn wolfhard is a huge cinephile and you know they so, both are they both know. had a podcast yeah. together and yeah. um uh they were both in jesse eisenberg's directorial debut when you finish saving the world cool in lead roles so that's great so I'm, I'm glad he's getting a shot to direct something sounds fun your classic you know i just played the quarry for uh ps5 which is a kind of choose your own adventure video game that's uh, basically you know a bunch of teenagers at a summer camp and um, it's more and Lance Hendrickson. Yeah. Yeah. It's more supernatural uh, and Ethan Supley and David Arquette. So it's got like a lot of nods to uh, uh, different things, but a uh, ton of fun. I like that kind of classic summer camp kind of slasher movie. So um, that sounds interesting. Uh, Kill another martial arts uh, thriller. This is on a passenger train bound for New Delhi. Um, a bloody battleground of brutal close quarters combat as a pair of commandos square off again. So um, again, yeah, Peter always knows like he has always these mix of like brutal martial arts movies with your classic horror films, with your very raunchy comedies. And like, it's always got, he's got a formula that he, he sticks to, but is open to kind of playing around with that. Um, and you kind of get a mix of everything. Um, you get anything else that stand out that we haven't real of fire i I think could be intriguing i know there's a teaser out there for it now and uh it played in can's Fortnite. um so the director's Fortnite, and 
it, it does seem a little bit whimsical, which is always hit or miss. Description, yeah. But there is a quality of that, you know, kids in peril, that late 80s thing that was very popular with something like The Gate uh, with Stephen Dorff. So that could be something uh, to keep an eye out for. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating when you think Midnight Madness, because, you know, part of going to one of these movies, it, it's almost like an adrenaline rush in itself, right? You're feeding off the crowd as much as you are the movie. And some of these films feel like more certain guarantees are going to be made with, with them when it comes to, you know, how these movies play, but then other ones like riddle of fire kind of seems to be a little bit more low key and maybe paced a little bit slower and maybe is a slow burn. Um, where I'm glad Peter's not afraid to do that kind of stuff. Right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, like, I think when, when, um, you know, brawl and cell block 99 came out like that timing of when, you know, the, 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 cause it played earlier, right? Because he wanted to hit midnight when everything kind of, when shit hit the fan in that I movie. Fell asleep when we saw um, that movie. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I like that as well, where like there was a strategy in playing it a little bit earlier because it was a longer movie as well. Um, so yeah, there's, there's not always going to be a Halloween or predator or something like that, like a big flashy movie. And I know there's some films that people were disappointed didn't show up, but again, expect the unexpected, right? You know, like that's always the best way to look at at a program specifically like this. No saw X, Peter. Tobin Bell, not in Toronto. Uh, but you have some more classic horror stuff with like sleep and when evil lurks and, uh, yeah. which both have been picked up by the way. So when evil lurks is IFC and then, uh, sleep is, uh, Magnolia, uh, pictures and mongrel media in Canada. And then working class goes to hell sounded interesting. Um, yeah. Cause St. Maud was one of those movies a few years ago that surprised a lot of people and picked was picked up by a 24. So you could have something here with that, where that movie maybe is not on a lot of people's radars as of yet, but if it kind of like a British sort of social commentary satire of the working class dealing with something either supernatural yeah. or, um, you know, otherworldly might play to that kind of crowd. Absolutely. All right, cool. Where do you want to go from here? Uh, we gotta, we're gonna speed through some of the smaller ones later because we are gonna probably run kind of long. But we, everyone is expecting a long BP episode from this. Um, we'll go to where we're still most interested. Do you want to go to docs, Eric? Do you want to go to platform? Do you want to go to? Let's go to platform because I feel like platform is a natural. You know, they used to have Vanguard, and I think that's one of the most missed uh, of the programs in platform to me is the closest to that. Or you at least uh, usually get one or two movies that would have played Vanguard probably in platform. Yeah. Right. And also can just be surprises because, you know, you have someone like Barry Jenkins, who's a part of the um, jury this year on platform and moonlight was a film that made a lot of noise at TIFF when um, it played in that section. So, you know, you have movies like Jackie and Lady Macbeth and Sound of Metal that have played in uh, past programs in platforms. So there could be something in here that even talking about uh, how to blow up a pipeline, you know, you yeah. could have something in this group that could be that movie this year. Absolutely. Oh, I forgot to take a time code. Let me do that. Where the hell is my notes? Um, I got to do more math. Uh, 53 plus 37 
Let's carry the one, um, you know, 53. Okay, well, I'll read them. Um, the platform films, Dear Jossie, uh, Dream Scenario, which we've talked about quite a bit already. Great Absence, uh, I Told You So, Not a Word, Shame on Dryland, uh, Sisterhood, Spirit of Ecstasy, The King Tide, the, and The Rye Horn. Uh, Eric, anything there that uh, we've talked about dream scenario, but anything else? Uh, I believe is, is the Tarsum movie there? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, so yeah. that might be worth keeping an eye out on because if you're a fan of the cell or the fall, um, Tarsum has a very distinct um, theatrical style where you have kind of the surreal entering the real world or vice versa. And he hasn't directed a movie since, um, that film with Henry Cavall and Mickey Rourke, uh, Immortals. So um, it'll be interesting to see him come back. And I know a lot of people are excited uh, about that one specifically um, because of him being a director. And I think he worked actually as like second unit um, on The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. So uh, yeah, he's, he's always a guy that has a very unique style that's both music video-esque and then also... Um, you know, playing within the confines of breaking reality, it, like the cell, you look at the idea of being in the mind of a serial killer. And then <laughs> you look at the fall, which is from the point of view of a soldier, you know, telling a fairy tale to a child and how the child interprets this tale. And, you know, that those movies are always very interesting and have a very playful quality to them. So that could be a movie that breaks out here. Cool. Yeah, uh, I'll mention Dream Scenario again. So this is the A24 movie starring Nicolas Cage from uh, Christopher Borgley. Um, so uh, co-produced by Ari Aster. Um, I'm that's all I need to know. So I'm well, I'm Nick in. Cage in, in your dreams. I mean, like that's what the synopsis is basically. Yeah, this he goes guy viral because people start seeing him in their dreams, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, which actually sounds a lot like. The the idea of it, even though I don't know if it's necessarily a horror film, but John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, like the Brotherhood of Sleep, where everybody collectively has a dream that has a broadcast or a signal that they share the same dream. And so like that right. kind of reminds me a little bit of like what this is. I don't know again, if it's supposed to be necessarily horrific or if it's just kind of more, um, I'm sure there'll be bridging the two there. between yeah. horror comedy, uh, because you know, if Nicholas Cage is in your dreams, it could be horrific or comedic. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it'll be a bit of both. And his look is amazing too. Um, the rest of these, I'm not like super familiar with. So I'm, I'm definitely going in kind of, um, just kind of, going off the descriptions and nothing really has stood out. Uh, is there anything else for you? But I, that's not, not really, a- but, but that's, but that's something where like, again, during the festival, you might hear something yeah. about one of these movies and be like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, it wasn't on my, you know, list to begin with, but now I think it, it definitely could be. And I think that that's always an exciting thing because there is usually a film that totally we don't have on our radar that, you know, during the festival, that first public or PI screening, that word of mouth builds. And that's always the exciting thing about a festival like this that is two weeks long, where it's like, oh, did you hear about this movie? I, I wasn't really expecting anything or didn't know anything about it. And it just kind of blew my mind, or I, I thought it was better than I than I was expecting it to be. And you should give it a shot. And then, you know, you go to your schedule and you look at the second half of your your festival and you're like, oh yeah, it's screening this time, so I can fit it in there. And that's kind of 
the fun I think of that fest of this festival, you know, and also just like, I, I think something that we maybe take for granted a little bit as well is that it is a very communal experience. You get to see a lot of people that you otherwise don't see any other time of the year that are, you know, online personalities or people that you, you know, come across maybe virtually, but, you know, it's nice to talk to somebody for a few minutes here and there or get a cup of coffee and, um, you know, the, the press headquarters and things like that. And, um, you know, to basically uh, decompress after watching something for a yeah. little bit and, and, or write something or record something or find a place to record. Those things That'll are all be interesting this too. year. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to centerpiece. So we have, excuse me, a uh, hundred yards, a happy day, a ravaging wind, a road to a village, about dry glasses, uh, Benel and Adama, Chuck Chuck Baby, City of Wind, Close Your Eyes, Death of a Whistleblower, Fallen Leaves, Fitting In, Green Border, Hey Victor, Holiday, Humanist Vampire Seeking Consenting Suicidal Person, <laughs> I Do Not Come to You by Chance, In Flames, Ishala a Boy, Irina's Vow, uh, Javida, Carnival, Limbo, Lost Ladies, Mountains, National Anthem, Perfect Days, Robot Dreams, Shadow of Fire, Shada, Sira, Snow Leopard, Sweet Dreams, The Breaking Ice, The Delinquents, The Feeling That the Time for Doing Something Has Passed, The Monk and the Gun, The Nature of Love, the Reeds, The Settlers, The Teacher's Lounge, They Shot the Piano Player, Toll, Upon Open Sky, We Grown Now, Woodland, Your Mother's Son. Who another... It sounds big... like you're just making up things as you're just nope. like random words. <laughs> nope, those are all things. So um, a big lineup and centerpieces is what they used to call contemporary world cinema. So they've changed this to centerpiece, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, centerpiece being a classic term used by film festivals, but usually, you know, how we talked about New York, usually you have a centerpiece film, right? Like one film. And now Tiff is calling, um, you know, and maybe that's to our discussion earlier, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Maybe they're sort of re trying to discover what the festival is or rebranding themselves, but like, especially calling this centerpiece and, and maybe wanting to make their festival truly, you know, the international film festival. Um, but I don't know. That's maybe me just speculating anything from here, Eric, that really stands out to you. Yeah. There's a few things. Um, there's the Turkish film, uh, all the dry glasses, um, which played at Cannes and was picked up by Janice uh, Films uh, and, and Criterion. Uh, I really like this director quite a bit. Um, he's done work like Climates and uh, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia and uh, The Wild Pear Tree. His movies are over three hours, but they tend to build in a very profound manner. By the time they get to the end, they really hit you. Uh, quite hard and usually they're surrounded by um, very prickly protagonists and 
sort of situations that don't necessarily have the most enticing um, description or situations that are very hard to stomach. Once Upon a Time in Anatola, it particularly deals with the procedural of finding um, a dead body that's been buried and one of the suspects who's in custody um, kind of, you know, taking them to the location and the police kind of investigating the situation and looking at small town or small village life and um, how depressing it is. And also, you know, the, why somebody does something so horrific and it actually would make a great double bill with something like Zodiac in a way, or even, you know, um, memories of murder uh, where you have something that's so unspeakable, but yet the mundanity of exploring why somebody will do something will leave you with more questions than answers. Um, and he's definitely one of those, I, again, I can't pronounce his name to save my life, but um, he's one of those directors that I really do love his work and everything I've seen. Winter sleep is another one as well. That um, is fantastic, but not for everybody. It, it's, it's very slow, um, methodically paced and oftentimes it does you do feel the length so if you're starting at 9 a.m in the morning and you're seeing a movie that is very contemplative uh it's three hours long that might not be your cup of tea and usually i see his stuff after the festival anyways at the light box so. right cool anything else um, there's some there's some Sony Pictures classic stuff. Uh, the Teachers Lounge, which played uh, Berlin, um, Shida, which has the lead from uh, Holy Spider. I believe that played at Sundance virtually. So you have some um, you know early winter festival films coming back again to maybe contend in the international uh, categories for for awards this year. Um, there's robots, which I think you kind of were interested robot in. Robot dreams, yeah. I mean, robot I, dreams. I've heard. I think it's completely uh, silent, but um, it's an yeah animated dialogue free story about the miracle of true friendship between a dog and a robot. So I mean, sounds great. What could go wrong in the eighties? In, in New <laughs> yeah, York in, in the eighties. Yeah, New York in the eighties. That is the the added kind of cherry on top that made me go okay that's cool i'm I'm interested and i like checking out animated films when they play tiff and stuff like that too so uh yeah that sounded interesting are you a wim wenders guy or no vim vendors yes i i do like vim vendors quite a bit there was a period there from the 70s to the late 80s where his work was you, you know unmatched you you have his road trilogy but then you know the the two films that i love so much of his um, are the American Friend, which is a very loose adaptation of uh, Patricia Highsmith's novels based around um, Tom Ripley. Uh, a lot of people remember uh, Matt Damon playing him and the talented Mr. Ripley, and then John Malkovich played him in Ripley's Game and um, the Alain Delon uh, movie uh, Purple Noon. So <clears throat> Dennis Hopper plays uh, Ripley in that movie, and and my brother Kyle and I, um, we just have this obsession with the style. Oh, in Paris, Texas, uh, the other Vin Vendors movie that I, I truly love as well. Like he, he, yeah. So Paris, Texas, The American Friend, and Wings of Desire. Those three movies in the late seventies and into the eighties, I just are phenomenal. A lot of people will probably know Wings of Desire better as the American remake with Nicolas Cage, uh, City of Angels, than they will. Um, the Bruno Gans uh, movie, but all of those movies are incredible. After that though, he kind of fell into a bit of a rut and a lot of his stuff that he's made in the last decade or so 
even Pina, uh, the the performance art dance oh, yeah. 3D uh, film was not my cup of tea. I, I didn't hate it or anything. It's just it didn't yeah. do anything for me. But even something like Submerged with Alicia Vikander and um, James McAvoy, it, it kind of felt a little bit off tonally and almost like it didn't. It was almost laughable um, with the dialogue, but I've heard Perfect Days is a kind of return to form for him, and it was picked up again by Neon at Cannes. So, you know, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly going by your lead here because, yeah, you will pick out some good stuff. I I went through and, you know, some stuff sounds... Sounds interesting, but um, there's another animated movie as well that Sony Pictures Classics picked up. Um, the yes. the piano player, yeah, one which sounds kind of interesting as well. And and I like the idea that that those that Robot Dreams in that are two animated movies that are playing not in an animated section or not a section that's designated whatever, for yeah. kids. And and I think that's going into where we are now in the last couple of years, specifically with Guillermo del Toro talking about animation, not as a genre, but as a medium and seeing that these kind of, and, and, and I think Tiff has always approached it that way, but it is nice yeah, like to see. Like when they programmed Illumination Sing, right? Like, sure. Um. <laughs> but, but Anomalisa, <laughs> Persepolis, that, yeah. movies like that, where, you know, they, they are playing them in programs that aren't simply just designated for that. And it's, it's the, the one category or the one program that it's kind of, a shame that it is, but I also understand it still is documentaries where documentaries are the same thing. It's, it's a medium in which you're telling a story. It's not necessarily just a genre, you know, a sports documentary isn't the same as a true crime documentary or a character study, you know, um, like you look at last year, uh, with all the beauty and the bloodshed, like that could have been a movie that played in special presentations or in, you know, the gala or centerpiece or anything, it didn't have to necessarily play in documentaries, you know, and, and, and that's the one thing that I still think will, we have even more of a hurdle to get over because that is also, you know, its own category in, in its, in itself. Well, Eric, what a segue. Cause let's go into the TIFF docs program where we have boil alert. Bye bye Tiberias, uh, Copa 71, Defiant, Flipside, God is a Woman, Homecoming, I Am Surat, In the Rear View, Menus, Placeris Le Tuagua. <laughs> Sorry. Alex Reno's just like, I know. listen to this. Hey, I've been, <laughs> I've been good this year. I'm trying to not like, you know, it, it, we'd get really long if I was reading every filmmaker's name and everything like that, but uh, I'm, I'm trying my best here. Mountain Queen, The Summits of Laka Sherpa. Mr. Dress Up, The Magic of Make Believe, uh, Silver Dollar Road, Songs of Earth, Sorry Not Sorry, Stamped from the Beginning, Summer Camp with a Q, uh, The Contestant, The Mother of All Lies, The Pigeon Tunnel, The World is Family, Viva Varda, and Walls. Eric, you're the doc guy again, so um, I'm going to punt this over to you. Uh, anything you know, that's the only out. the only film that I that I know a name is mm-hmm. Earl Morris with uh, the the Pigeon Tunnel, and that's an Apple uh, TV Plus uh, release. And Earl Morris is a documentarian who kind of redefined the medium. You know, talking about you know 
doing the recreations that are very commonplace now, but when the thin blue line came out was something novel and changed the way that people Did you do that on purpose? It, a little bit, but, but it's true. I think that, you know, it, it changed the way that we look at how a documentary is seen, you know, and his character, like if he's focusing on an individual, it can be, again, hit or miss. I think something like the fog of war is a really well-made movie, but it's not as good as some of his character stuff, you know, like gates of heaven, or as I mentioned, uh, the thin blue line where it's almost a procedural or based on people that are kind of weird or idiosyncratic or, you know, outs or Vernon, Florida. Like those are movies that to me are his strongest where he's playing within communities or, within institutions that have wrongly accused people uh, standard operating procedure being another one in Guantanamo and, and, and like that. But when he does something that's based on even, you know, like the unknown known, which I, I know you have a very special place in yes, your heart for yeah. Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but he is such a, 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 an important filmmaker within the community that, you know, when you see his name on something, it, still means a great deal and his obsession his ocd and his obsession with the fine details of certain things i think really because he used to be a detective as well um is always worth watching one of his movies or his or one of his series because he'll always fixate on something you're not expecting to and that little thing is what makes him very interesting is that it's like oh this milkshake falling this way and let's focus on that four times, but see it at different angles. And what does that mean? And does that mean anything? Yeah. Um, those are, those are the, the, the films or filmmakers. I, I love the most that really are eccentric and kind of bring their own personality without necessarily interfering with making the story. them the subject. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. As much as I love Werner Herzog, um, you know, his personality does help some of the stuff that he's made in the last little bit, because it's so dry that when you have his sort of, eccentric personality coming through it almost helps but it does also interfere with what is being depicted on the screen because you're so drawn to someone like him and i mean earl morris and and Werner herzog have had clashes before when gates of heaven came out because Werner herzog thought that that movie would never get made to the point where Werner herzog ate his own shoe because he bet Earl Morris that that movie could not get made and it did and did very well. And so he kind of took the spotlight away from that movie because there was this short of him literally boiling his leather shoe and eating it on camera. There we um, go. I so, do remember this vaguely. Yeah. Uh, I'll give a shout out to the Mr. Dress Up documentary. Some um, CanCon. Yeah. I mean, both of us, I think, grew up with Mr. Dress Up. Um, any Americans listening, you might not know. Uh, who Mr. Dress Up is? I don't think there was any like it was purely Canadian, right? Like I don't. Yeah, think but it was our thing. version of 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 Mr. Rogers. Yeah, basically the same thing almost. So curious about that. Um, also, uh, there was one other thing I wanted to shout out. Oh, the Agnes Varda doc. So there's some interesting stuff there as well. And we're gonna talk Discovery now. So here's the Discovery program: A Match, Achilles. After the Fire, An Endless Sunday, Andragogy, Arthur and Diana, Backspot, Flybred Face in Me, Gonzo Girl, Hajun, How to Have Sex, I Don't Know Who You Are, 
La Suprema, Mandube, Mimyang, Mimang, Seagrass, Solitude, What We See, The Queen of My Dreams, The Teacher, The Tundra Within Me, Valentina or the Serenity, Window Cliqua, Wild Woman, Without Air, <laughs> Yellow Buzz, and that's it. What are you laughing at, man? I'm, I'm, laughing. I'm not laughing at the titles. I'm laughing at Matt's very Anglo-Saxon pronunciation of these movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. What are you excited for in Discovery? Anything? I know these movies are usually... Um, I mean, the program says it all it is discovery. They're from either first time filmmakers or, or directors that are, um, you know, up and coming and things like that. Like the future of, of, of cinema or of TIFF or of filmmaking. Yeah. Gonzo girl is probably the biggest name just in terms of, uh, director profile being, you know, uh, Patricia Arquette, uh, helming this movie and then having people like Willem Dafoe in the film. So, uh, I can see a lot of people just looking at that and wanting to get a ticket for it because it has uh, named stars in it. But uh, Discovery is the section that um, After Sun, uh, or was that Centerpiece? Or, or After Sun played in... It was one of the two. Yeah, it might have been Discovery. Um, the other one that I think is worth talking about is... Well, they're all worth talking about, but the one that I kind of know something that I can talk about um is how to talk about sex matt uh it's a film that played at sundance and was picked up by movie and i know that the director molly walker um has a very tongue-in-cheek kind of attitude somebody asked the director uh what their um their inspiration or their favorite movies were for, for how to talk about sex and the response was the lion king <laughs> It's like okay, I'm already I'm, I'm already sold. I'm, I'm, I'm in on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Discovery is another perfect example of word of mouth when something plays at the festival or if it screens before you know the fest and people start talking about it. Keep an eye out for some of these movies or an ear on like what is the 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 movie that's maybe going to break out and this could be a chance for a filmmaker here to kind of take that next step um, in discovery. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there that I'm not familiar with, but that's, we've been saying this again and again, that's not a bad thing. You know, this is, this is an opportunity to be surprised by something. And that is always one of the most exciting aspects of any film festival, especially when you're this late in the year where you kind of feel like you already know, everything that's coming out or, or you want to see, you know, like those surprises are, are just as rewarding or even more so than, um, you know, the films you're most anticipating. Yep. Um, I agree with you on Gonzo girl. Um, that's amazing about how to have sex. So you said it played Sundance. No, uh, pardon me. Uh, can, can. Oh, okay. I thought you said Sundance. You might've said Sundance. I might've said Sundance. Sorry. Um, I I am literally recovering, not from a cold, but from allergies. Uh, you know, I am not meant for the outdoors. So my brain's been a little loopy the last. No, that's cool. No, I I'm definitely the way that you just described it. I'm I'm definitely in. So, um, I want to say, uh, Mimang, um, is one of them. Um, that sounds like, uh, the before trilogy, 
So I was kind Daddy of Daddy O and, and Miming. Yeah. So <laughs> Kim Taeyang's feature debut shot over four years follows a man and a woman who meet by chance and stroll through Seoul's changing streets. So uh, I I love a just two people walking and talking. But you weren't um, the biggest movie. fan of Boyhood, which did take a yeah, long period of time like, to yeah, shoot. Yeah, that's different. I think I think Boyhood. I don't need to get into it again, but relied Let's get into a it. lot on its narrative structure as its gimmick. As a gimmick, yeah. Um, where I don't, I didn't feel the storytelling was, you know, that, you know, deserving of of praise. I found it very simple and very, you know, generic. But I thought a lot of people focused on the technical side of things, which is not a bad thing, but uh, more so just relied on that gimmick way instead of looking at the story itself yeah and and that was my personal opinion where i felt like the story was so fine you know i i I grew up and i I related to a lot of it and um but i just felt a very simple and kind of you know um other than its gimmick conventional narrative coming of age story but this i like you know shot over four years doesn't bother me as much um because i don't think that's like the whole thing about the movie i don't think it's going to be like shot over four years isn't going to be like the mark well, i mean it does say it. though in the description, i know I, but i of course but like that's just a a programmer putting that in there as like a a thing but i don't think that it's going to rely on that really and people don't change that much over four years at least like yeah maybe your look does a little bit but like in your sure your personality but you can do that in different ways as well but i don't know uh i, I just what thought, movie do you think is going to end up on a mcdonald's bag in the future man we'll talk about that on a future episode <laughs> so that um that's for another you know, normal episode of this because show, weathering with wanna... you did play at TIFF and it was which surprisingly not on the bag. in that campaign, not no. in that campaign at all. What's the which deal? I'm like, McDonald's, what do they have weathering with you? Come on, like that deserved to be there. It's a beautiful um, Big Mac, it was a beautiful Big Mac. Um, that's a tangent that I, w- I will talk about if we just do some. Did you keep the bag? Show. No, but I mean, if I okay. go back and get because I kind of want you like, to get it back because I, I, I'm going to be talking about Asian cinema with Andrew Feigl. I know this yeah. is off topic, but <laughs> yeah. I just want to, because I've never seen he was Kira Kurosawa, uh, Kurosawa, um, Wong Kar Wai <laughs> on, a, on a McDonald's yeah. bag. I know. That's why I thought it was so funny. Nevis and I randomly went um, to McDonald's after we got drinks. We had like a random uh, date night on Saturday where we, um, uh, should I put a time code in for this? <laughs> like, uh, a quick excursion, I, McDonald's stock. I really should. Like, um, no, you, this is a little bonus if you stuck around this long for the TIFF thing. Um, where you're like, I just talk about TIFF. Um, we got some. We went to Taste of the Danforth, um, which was underwhelming. That's um, a shame. It's fine. I don't know. Like, it just a friend of my, my sister's best friend Danielle. I don't know who to give credit to on this. If it was one of her friends or something, uh, we were telling them like, eh, it wasn't great. The vibes were kind of not, you know, it's a lot of people waiting in long lines to eat at restaurants. I'm all for <laughs> supporting local businesses and local restaurants and stuff like that. So whatever gives them more business. Great. But to me, I just go like Toronto just loves waiting in lines for things where I'm like all the things they're doing is you're getting food from restaurants. You could go to anytime and not wait in line and just buy food for the same prices. So it just felt like it, there wasn't enough like music or other things to do that made it really interesting. Um, and someone said to Danielle, my sister's friend being like, taste of the Danforth has the crowds of pride, like the pride 
weekend. Um, but the vibes of Dufferin Mall. <laughs> and I'm like, that's exactly it. So anyways, after that, we went for a walk. We got uh, cocktails. Um, and then I was feeling a little tipsy and we were going to go walk over to meet up with my sister and my sister's best friend, who's basically my sister. So my two sisters. Um, so we were like, okay, we're trying to do this thing where if we go out for dinner now, we're like, we're not, we don't buy cocktails. Cause it's, you know, they're so fucking expensive. It's like $20 a cocktail in Toronto, anywhere you go. And so are they, it, are they always good? Or is there an inconsistency there where they're always, if you're at a good restaurant, the cocktails are good. Are they $20 good? Rarely. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, they're good, but I don't think any cocktail should cost $20. I don't know. <laughs> all this to say McDonald's is now introducing so, cocktails. <laughs> no, 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 no. So there's a, there's a way that we go about things. So it's like, go out for dinner. We don't get cocktails. So we got, we, if we go out for cocktails or we say, let's get cheap dinner that way, it kind of like, you know, everything's perfectly balanced. You know? Yeah. So we go for cocktails and we're like, all right, I'm just going to grab McDonald's on the way to, uh, uh, Sarah and Danielle. Um, so we stopped in and then, yeah, got the, the, it was a day before two days before they were launching this campaign, but I got a sneak peek at the Wong Kar Wai McDonald's bags. So, um, I got nothing else from this thing. And like the whole thing is, I don't know. There's the bag and like the Loki sauce different. Yeah. There's which is just sweet and sour sauce, but says as seen on Loki. Um, and then, uh, they're doing a, a couple other things and I, I, we might talk about it more on the next, maybe we get some McDonald's on the next episode and maybe we record in a McDonald's. That'd be funny. Um, <laughs> just where just cinema to, takes place. Yeah. So I think that would be hilarious. So maybe that's what we do on the next episode. But anyways, uh, tangent back to discovery. Make sure to, just, ta- to mark this time wise. <laughs> no, I didn't. So everyone's just, who's coming to learn about, discovery just gets to talk about mcdonald's uh but yeah i i think um i'm i'm down to just kind of randomly pick a couple of these that sound interesting and and um and kind of jump into them but i haven't done enough research yet but i i i like the kind of things that you were saying so uh let's quickly run through the last couple do you want to do these last couple as one or should we just keep going and doing them separately what do we have left well, we, we have, have primetime wavelengths, shorts. I'm sorry, shorts. You're getting cut for length. Sorry. <laughs> like, um, Ouch. Not even just them um, being short is is enough. You're getting, you know, you're getting cut for length. I'm sorry. My brother um, Kyle's listening to this and you're like, he's just like, you I'm sorry. Assholes. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Like if your brother Kyle had a movie at TIFF, we'd cover it. Uh, but oh, that's harsh. I, all right, let's fucking go through it. What are we going through? Just go next? quickly through it. Just uh, uh, We're yeah. not doing industry conference or in conversation with those no. movies, so we're yeah. not doing those. Doc conference, sorry, we're not doing. Um, we'll go into, what is Luminaries? I think that that's also program? conversations, isn't it? Luminaries, art house filmmakers, a de- designated subsection of films within centerpiece wavelengths and tip docs. Oh, so these just get like a Luminaries stamp on them. So we've already talked about um those um so let's go to prime time so these are the movies that are playing or sorry tv shows that are playing tiff we have alice and jack all the light we cannot see bad boy bargain black life untold stories bria mac gets a life estonia expats and telling our story eric we're not ones to usually go to the prime time program we did 
uh, break that to go see a couple episodes of the Black Mirror in IMAX. Um, in no, we didn't. Was it it wasn't IMAX, no, or was we, it just the Justin Timberlake doc? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, but anyways, uh, anything here? I mean, Lulu Wang's got a a, a movie. Lulu right? Wang, yeah, Wong, yeah. Sorry, my bad. Thank you. Um, um, yeah, that's the only one that stands out to me. And I'm going to say something controversial here. I think Tiff kind of should scrap prime time. I think it was an interesting experiment when yeah. you had that conversation about you know film being or television being like film and film becoming more like television. And while there is still very much certain elements that are catering to that, I think the time for it is over because the shows that they're programming, I don't think there's enough interest there. Like I would be very curious to see how many people actually attend all of these screenings or like what, what is the the maximum of like the most popular one? Like the expats will probably be that in this case, because you have the director of the farewell working with Nicole Kidman and you know, that's a big deal. And, and obviously, but, but you're, you're thinking to yourself as well. Like I'd rather just see a new movie by Lulu Wong than, you know, a series. And that's even outside of the context of the festival. And that's how I feel in general. Like even with somebody like we just talked about a little while ago, we didn't really mention it, but like Nicholas Wending Refn, you know, he's done two series in the last little bit. Haven't watched either one. And it would still be more than down to see what he does next as a feature. But that's just Mm -hmm. how it is because we're not necessarily tv guys first and foremost i've watched a lot more tv lately like my wife is loves i think likes tv even more than movies so like i watch a lot of television with nevis but and i've you know but i have i've missed on shows that are 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 directed by filmmakers that we like so i i kind of agree with that where i always find tv i like passive viewing like i do like like the bear is is incredible and i know i'm not the first person to say that everyone is saying that but like it's it's really genuinely probably like if i put it in with my favorite things of the year it would be up there that like if you didn't count tv and movies as different things it might be the best thing that i've watched this year right so i do feel like that that line is blurred but i agree with you that this program always kind of just finds a way of happening and it, no one really ever talks about it personally, but maybe the people in those TV circles talk about it more, but you have like Sean Levy having something here with all the light we cannot see. And Stephen Knight, um, you know, being a Netflix show, I think, uh, that has Mark Ruffalo and Hugh Laurie, um, based on a Pulitzer prize winning novel. So you have some like, and you already mentioned the Lulu Wong thing, but, um, uh, with Nicole Kidman and and big names, so I, I get why they're doing it, but or keep doing it, but um, yeah, I I don't know. I just and you're not getting the full show. I think we should also make that very. I clear think that's as well. my biggest problem, right? Is you're usually only getting an episode or two, which yeah. means you're. For me, it's hard to review. You know, we're going to be reviewing things like Ahsoka, and we do the Marvel shows and stuff like that, where you we're only reviewing a couple episodes. But it's usually just giving our first impressions. But I think in a festival that's so crowded, it's hard for me to go. Okay, I need to squeeze in time to watch two episodes of a TV show in the middle of the festival when I can't even fit in every movie I want to see. Right. So, like, that's I think my biggest issue. So. And I think maybe some people don't even realize it's TV when they probably get tickets to it and stuff like that. Well, it does like, say prime time. And I'm know, sure there is like, the description, but people don't read things. And that's the other problem where there are some instances where if it's like 
a TV movie or a mini series, you sometimes get uh, an edited version for yeah. theatrical release. The one I'm thinking about is um, the Sean Durkin series, uh, Southcliff, which played yeah. uh, the festival, and it was kind of a mini series about a small town shooting and sort of the 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 fallout of that. And that's it was one of the few times where. I really felt like, oh, this was something special to watch it on a big screen. And I really liked the Black Mirror episodes that we watched. They were well, great. Because those know. anthology series, I feel like, are kind of great. Well, they're one because, and done, right? Yeah. Even if you're seeing two episodes, you're getting two little mini movies, right? When when you're getting two episodes of a of a you know a larger story, it's hard to really like I guess to me that feels like more of marketing than anything in here. Yeah. But um, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, Give me some episodes of Chopped. <laughs> Master Chef, here you go. Or Vanderpump Here's, Rules. Yeah, oh my God, could you imagine? In IMAX. Oh, oh yes, that's what we need. If I was a TIFF programmer, that's the kind of I guarantee that, that would actually do very well if it they program that. Are you that. kidding me? Like, if you have the whole cast show up to a premiere, that's going to go gaga, man. All right, let's go to Wavelengths next. Um, just adding another time code. Um, and then we'll finish off with shortcuts. Um, all right. Wavelengths. We have, do not expect too much from the end of the world. He thought he died preceded by labyrinth sequences here inside the yellow cocoon shell. Mademoiselle Canopsia, Mombar Perret <laughs> music nowhere near. Orlando, my political biography, pictures of ghosts, the human surge three, uh, wavelengths one, quiet as it's kept, wavelengths two, sundown. I believe those are shorts grouped together, right? Um, yeah. Programs. Wavelengths three, outlines with Ackerman, Costa, and Goddard. Um, youth spring. Um, that is your wavelengths program. Uh, I'm not a wavelengths guy. Although here's the thing. I feel like a wa wavelength movies. Like if someone forces me to watch them, like I usually not usually, but sometimes or often go, Oh, that was really interesting. Or I did, I, I did kind of find something to enjoy in that. It's just, it's hard for me to like, you know, seek it out. But I know there are people who really, really fucking love this program. Um, it's the most experimental yeah. and esoteric in a lot of ways. And it's just fascinating that this year, maybe just cause it was, it was too short notice, but, um, uh, Michael Snow passed away and, you know, his short documentary wavelengths is kind of like what the festival or what that program kind of based it on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's nothing there in terms of paying tribute to him and, and, and that work that kind of, you know, set a tone for that program but there is a couple things in this section this year that I, I i've only been maybe once or twice and that's partly just because i'm i'm like that where when you're at a festival i think your patience does begin to dwindle and it's not necessarily the fault of the wavelength films but they're less enticing because you you have a shorter rope at that point in in you know if you're seeing something that is a little bit more demanding of you you know, to put the puzzle pieces together. But the, the last time I was at a wave like screening was um, 
and it was because it was Viggo Mortensen was in it was Hauha. And so that was the last time I think and the only time I've ever been, but there are a couple movies here that outside of the festival, I would like to see at some point, which are don't expect too much from the end of the world, which does sound very funny um, and absurd and has been described almost as like watching a nearly three hour kind of like meme centric storyline. Um, and then inside uh, the yellow uh, uh, coconut shell, is it, is it called? Uh, oh, cocoon. cocoon inside the yellow cocoon shell. Yeah. That's another one that played, um, in can, I think in the director's Fortnite that was picked up by Kino, um, that everything I've seen on it from the production stills looks really beautiful. And, um, I do really like some filmmakers that are kind of outside of the box, but I think it's the mindset, you know, if you're in that mood for something like that and it's not a three or four picture day and you're watching, you know, one movie after another, I think you can be um, more open to it. But if you're watching stuff for work or if you're seeing multiple movies to record stuff in between, you know, yeah. it is a harder sell. I mean, if you're just covering wavelengths or if you really love that program, then absolutely. And I, again, I don't have anything against it because I even like some of the movies that are playing this year and have in the past, but it's just, it, it is, it is a tougher sell. Um, but I'm also happy that it's there. Cause I think you need I agree. this no, program. I, I agree. That's why, I mean, we didn't really cover it when we, um, when we kicked it off. But one reason why I love TIFF is because it is so eclectic when it comes to its programming. Like I do really, feel like it does have something for every type of movie lover like whether you like the big flashy movies whether you like the strange art house movies whether you like the 824 style you know um you know blockbuster indie movie whether you like like the <laughs> horror side of things whether you like like i feel like it does have documentaries like it does Put a lot in each one of those sections and it does have a little bit of something for everyone so um we'll move on to fi finish things off there um and we'll give a couple shout outs for some of the different categories that the, the subcategories that they have but we'll finish things off with shortcuts um and here's the thing i can't it actually only list them as shortcuts program one two three four five and six <laughs> so done <laughs> um there you go so you, you know we, we but again it's it's we hate not being more enthusiastic for it or not including it there's a lot of people that we know um including my brother kyle um oh, that yeah. buys packages for the short programs and it's also where you'll discover new generations of filmmakers that are playing with the medium and getting ready to make that next step into feature filmmaking so there's a lot there to appreciate it's just again it's its own world right like shorts are a different beast altogether and i think that's kind of going back to my point right before this that there's a little bit for everyone right there are the people who really like the shorts programs and we'll go to those right and i just think for me and the type of t i just I, I i like short films i have nothing against them um uh, you know if anything you know the shorter the better sometimes um I like the in and out nature of them, the creativity. I like uh, the discovery in those kind of things of how certain short films get either made into features later, or you find certain directors or even certain directors going back and doing a short later in their career and stuff like that too. So um, I'm all for it. Um, 
and I, I absolutely so happy that it's there and that they continue to put a spotlight on those short programs because um, I do every year know people who who go to them and, and enjoy them. It's just like for us, especially covering them, unless it's like someone really well known or um, or a filmmaker or something like that. Like there are the odd times that we do cover a short film. Usually if it's like a PR person reaches out and goes, Hey, I think you guys would vibe with this. Why don't you check it out? Here's a screener or something. It's just like, again, when I'm pro when there's the scheduling being today, the schedule came out like to fit in, like, because it, there are five short films or something, it's usually an hour and a half, two hours that you're in there or longer. Um, I just, usually it's where I kind of have to go. I can't squeeze this stuff in and it, cause it's just not my beat. If that makes sense. If you're talking in journalistic, uh, terms. So, uh, happy about the short programs. Um, just not necessarily, um, something that we cover here. Whoo. Okay. Not our beat, Eric, but this was our beat, which is tip <clears throat> and the beat goes on a couple technical snafus, but we made it through a nice beefy two and a half hours. Um, also, if you guys want to see more, go to the TIFF website as I shake my whole computer. Uh, they have some more subcategories. So you can kind of find um, this TIFF Next Wave selects, like, um, which is their, um, uh, you know, the Next Wave Committee, which is their students and younger people that watch movies that they put their stamp of approval on. And then you can even get into some of the, the genre and subcategories. Um, like uh, films directed by women and LGBTQ plus movies and, and uh, uh, er experimental avant-garde movies. And they have all these like interesting first nations films. Like um, you can kind of go in and do get really granular in your sub genres. If you kind of want to find something specific or if there is a certain sub genre that you're looking for, you like that Eric and I necessarily didn't cover or, glanced over and things like that. So I highly suggest going over to the TIFF website and playing with their filters when you look through the whole program, because there is a lot of um, ways you can kind of find and discover films to put on your program um, that you're not necessarily just going to get from us who tried to cover as much as possible, but it's hard for us to even know about every movie. We're still going to cover like the, the, the biggest stuff. Um, all right, man. And then now we build our schedules, what those will look like. I'm sure they'll be revised 45 times before the festival. I've already kind of done a brief kind of quick run through, but I'm sure it'll change um, even more. So uh, I'm excited to plan it and I'm excited for it. So as, even though we started from this place of going like, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of an off year or a year that I'm like not it's it taking a little bit more energy to muster up the excitement. Like I am still very excited. I love doing TIFF. I love covering it with you. Our friend Mike's going to come and take some photos um, for us as well. Um, I, I really do. It's my favorite thing of the year. Like my, my year for the last 15 years or however long I've been going, um, is really revolves around the beginning of September for TIFF. Like it begins and ends with TIFF. So like, I'm still super psyched. There are a ton of movies we just talked about that I am very excited about. Um, and yes, am I disappointed that a few things made it to Venice or made it to New York that aren't coming here? Yeah. But that that's like in anything in every year. Um, but I'm hoping that um, I'll find a, a bunch of movies that I really love this year. So I'm very, very excited. Yeah. Pretty much the same. It's, it's all about, 
perspective and and how you see things and you know where you see them and getting that opportunity to experience the festival whether you're a first timer or someone like Matt and I have been doing it for a few years now I say a few years many um so it's 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 all about how you look at things and it can be critical it can be positive it can be negative it's all really just a matter of opinion and you know perspective on things and we don't know all the ins and outs of of the politics and also how things are kind of you know tied to certain release dates and schedules so you have to give the programmers and the people involved credit for being able to assemble any lineup especially given you know post pandemic and also now you know with the strikes ongoing that it's still happening it's just a continually evolving thing and it you know, we're getting a festival and getting a festival is better than having no festival. And, you know, yeah, we don't maybe have some of the bigger films like we did last year, but I'm sure last year there were a lot of people that were feeling the same way about not being able to see the Fablemans at TIFF or, yeah. you know, Glass Onion. So, it, you know, it's 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 an ebb and flow kind of thing. And, and there are some years that are more memorable or defined by something than others. And, you know, expectations play a role, but then, you know, you have to kind of check that entitlement and make sure that you're looking at it from the point of view of, of for us, you know, we're getting to do this uh, as accredited members of the press. So we're very lucky in that regard that we get to watch movies that we are essentially choosing for ourselves as well, because we're our own bosses for this show. And I think that that's an important part as well, where we're not being told, Oh, well you need to, you know, see everything in this category, or you need to, you know, interview all of these people and miss out on these movies. You know, we decide what we want to cover. And I think like that's also a really important thing because, you know, there's a lot of people that get to cover the festival, but still have a mandate when it comes to, you know, a producer or a studio or an outlet saying, okay, well, um, you have to watch this and you have to review this and, you know, you have to, you know, spend your day sitting in a waiting room, you know, for a five to 10 minute conversation or, you know, working for a newspaper. And those things are great too, but there's something about just going and seeing what you want to and having no, um, you know, obligations in terms of what you're seeing and and us making our own decisions and that enthusiasm coming through, even when we pick stuff that we don't necessarily like uh, when we watch the movie, but at least we can say we made our own choice to see that. No one else can be blamed for that decision. So absolutely well said, my friend. Well, thank you all for returning or maybe it's your first time. Uh, listening or watching the Untitled Movie Podcast. We really uh, appreciate it. We'll be back with more frequent episodes on this show. Um, We'll be covering Fan Expo, McDonald's uh, bags, and (laughs) McDonald's combos. Uh, We'll have more reviews over on Untitled Movie Reviews, which you guys can check out as well for things like Gran Turismo and the first two episodes of Ahsoka uh, coming up soon. Uh, We've also covered... Uh, a lot of movies recently in the last month or so. Uh, what have we covered, Eric? TMNT, a- Barbenheimer, oh, yeah. Haunted Mansion. All your favorites are there. We'll also have a review coming up for Bottoms, Emma Seligman's new movie. Heck yeah, which uh, was a favorite. Uh, I mean, 
uh, her first film was a favorite of ours from TIFF during the pandemic. Um, Which also started as a short. There you go. Everything full circle. Uh, Please go check us out on uh, Letterboxd, which is untitled underscore movies. Um, and as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find out uh, more of my work around the find out. You can find more. <laughs> find out. Fucked around and uh, found out. <laughs> uh, more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews and interviews over on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. I have an interview with uh, Passages director Ira Sachs, which I really uh, am quite I proud of. again right at the end. You I, did. I, I, you sure did. I, you look great, though. Uh, and you can find me on all the social medias at EM6211. Until next time, we need to find a new platform to record on because this shit is getting ridiculous. If you're and listening a key to- light. And a key light. <laughs> I need a key light. Bye, everyone. <laughs>